just kicked out the cord to my my MacBook Pro. <laughs> and guess what? It's not a problem because I'm still using a 2014 MacBook Pro with MagSafe. There you go. There you go. You know, I was thinking Bro- about this. Brilliant I still, invention. I'm still getting uh, feedback from people about that Brian Chen uh, iPhone. I don't know if you listened to me and Neelai on the uh, Vergecast podcast. I did. I did. I, 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 I mean, I enjoy the two of you always, but I knew you were going to talk that article, so I made a special point to make sure to listen to it. Uh, well, I also think, wasn't that the one, too, where we sung your praises? It was, it was disgusting. I think you might have said something kind. I do uh, appreciate it. Oh, um, it made me I, sick. You know. I knew you were going to listen, too. Son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, one aspect of this is like the the whole theory that people like me and Neelai and other people who write these reviews are cheerleaders telling people to go uh, buy the newest thing, buy the newest thing, buy the newest thing just isn't true. And the fact that I'm using a 2014 MacBook Pro, it's literally five years old at this point. I believe I even bought it around this time of the year in 2014. So I'm using a five-year-old laptop. Right now, literally, to record this show, I've been typing almost everything I've written for the last year or so on this machine. Uh, I still love it. It is. It is. I need to write like a five-year review of this thing because I do believe that it is the single greatest computing device I've ever purchased in my life. I love it. Yeah, I, I had the exact same generation, and I also loved it, and it was absolutely fantastic. And then I dropped it, and uh, now I have one of the new MacBook Pros, and I don't like it nearly as much. I can I can promise you that. Do you know what it has that's wrong? I don't know if you've seen this. I know Syracuse had it, and other people had it, and it was a known issue that Apple had like a support page up around the display. The black bezel around the display, it is there's some kind of adhesion that keeps the plastic surface to whatever's behind it. And at some point, I mean, at this point, I've had it. I've had the problem longer than I didn't have it. You know, three, three years ago, maybe more. It's it looks like the screen needs to be cleaned. Like it looks like something you could just wipe off. Yeah, I know exactly what that is. Oh, I didn't realize it. Yeah, no, I had that for sure. For sure. Uh, And my 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 thing was, unfortunately, I I put on. I, I liked I liked the messenger bag style. I think it's much more convenient for putting stuff in or out. Mm-hmm. But I like carrying things as a backpack because I destroyed my back carrying around a messenger bag uh, back back in business school. So <laughs> so Toomey makes this great bag where you use it like a messenger bag, but it has backpack straps and also has a little thing to put over your carry on for fly. It, it's perfect. It's a brilliant bag. So so when you're actually like walking great distances, you can wear a backpack, and then right before you like meet people. <laughs> You can turn it That's into right. a messenger That's bag right. and, and look a little bit look a little bit cool. No, no, well, no, I don't carry the messenger bag strap, so but it does. It have like briefcase handles, yeah. so you can kind of carry it or right. whatever. Right. But I, I have no shame, so it's fine. Right. Uh, but but the uh, I I put it on because the problem is so the zippers are on the side, and I hadn't zipped up the computer part where you put the computer in. So I throw it over my shoulders, and the computer goes flying out the side, <laughs> and uh, and that was that was the end of my beloved... I think it was, was 2015, the last year that they had that model? Um, I think so. There went, there went my beloved 2015 uh, I think so. 13-inch MacBook Pro. I, and I could be, even be misremembering. Mine might be a 2015. Actually, I guess I can just go to what about this Mac? I think it's 2014. You've talked about it before. Yeah, mid-2014. All right. I just I, t- I psyched myself out of it. But anyway, I've had this adhesion problem around the bezel for <laughs> like three, four years even. And Apple had a page, They and it was a known defect, and their thing was just bring it into the store. We'll take one look at it. As soon as we eyeball it, we, we will take your MacBook away and 
fix it. I don't want him to fix it. I don't want to be without it for a day. And I kind of have grown. I, I went through the stages of grief with, you know, some kind of physical defect on it where now I, I feel like it's charming and it doesn't affect the pixel area. So it's right. not like there's a section of my screen at the right side where I'm looking at a defect. Uh, it really is only most noticeable when the screen is off. It's like, how often do I look at the screen when it's off? As soon as I lift the lid, the screen comes on. So no, it's funny. You, met, I, I totally had that problem. I, I yeah. like, I now that you mentioned, it, I didn't, I didn't even know what it was either. I just kind of ignored it. Yeah, because it, 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 you're right. It wasn't on the screen. It looked like it was dirty, uh, yeah. and it didn't really matter. So yeah, it looked like a weird stain, like you spit milk on your screen or something. Yep. You know, yep. and it's exactly. like, uh, <laughs> or worse. <laughs> Uh, but it really did. The like, first time I noticed it, it really, lo- I, it really was like a Lady Macbeth moment where I'm sitting there, like you know, like huffing on the screen, to, you know, and then like, and like, ah, oh, I better go get the 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 serious uh, screen cleaner. Uh, and nothing worked, and I'm like, what the hell? And then I like Google it, and it's like, oh, known defect. And then like, uh, as soon as I found out it's a known defect, and I see Apple's policy, they like, will fix it. I, I immediately stand up <laughs> and think like, well, I'm going to walk to the Apple store right now. And then I thought about it. I, thought, I don't want to be without this machine. You know, there's like, no. I have a big, and I think you subscribe to the same theory with my with my Macs. I have a very strong, if it ain't broke, don't replace it. <laughs> Don't don't replace it and don't update the OS until you the absolute you absolutely have no choice. I didn't used to have that opinion with their OS. I would I, I guess I would never update on day one of a new major new operating system, but I would upgrade quickly. But now I'm I don't, I don't think I upgrade to uh, Catalina. No, not Catalina. Catalina is the next one. Mojave. I'm, I'm sick of these goddamn names. I'm ten fourteen. I didn't upgrade to ten fourteen until like June. <laughs> Yeah, no, same here. It, 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 like, it, and like, it dis- it disrupts your day for like an hour, hour and a half, and and, right. and, and yeah, I don't know. No, like the, the actually, this this frustrates me about the way Apple has has dealt. Like, the Mac is like a it's a pure work machine. I don't use it really for anything other than work. I use my phone for almost everything else. Like, there's a certain number of things I need the Mac to do and do them very very well. And I don't need anything else, and I want them to do it perfectly and to never disrupt anything. Like that, that's that's all I want from the computer. Like I don't need any any bells and whistles, anything on those lines. All I want is it to do those things. And and once it's set up and it's doing those things, I don't want to mess with it. Yep. No, I feel the same way. And uh, I don't know. I I will probably upgrade to Catalina earlier than I did ten fourteen, uh, because I'm a stupid. But. <laughs> But there are some things in Catalina that I really do want to use. I, I do feel like there is one huge tentpole feature in 1015 Catalina, and that is what they're calling Sidecar, which is the ability to use your an iPad, either wirelessly or connected, uh, like by a USB cable, as a external display. And then you could, like, draw on it and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, no, I used to use um, – uh, I, I used to use Duet. I think I still have Duet. Uh, when, when, during the summer, I'm usually back in, back in the States most of the summer and I will occasionally, especially during earnings season, when I'm looking at spreadsheets and stuff like that, I will set up, I have a 13 inch iPad and I will use it just as a screen. So Duet doesn't do the whole touch thing. It's just a, it's just a secondary display, but it, it is, it is very useful. And then there's the, there's the third party thing called Luma display. Yeah, was, that's the one that you that actually does incorporate the touch stuff. Right? Yeah, but that that requires a, a kernel extension, I think. Well, uh, no, uh, sort of. 
So Luma Display uh, is a very intriguing product, and if those, I, I would still encourage people to look at it and consider it. I, it. There's a very strong chance that they've that this sidecar thing in Catalina is going to Sherlock them and put them out of business, or at least put that product out of business. But the idea with Luma, it was a, I think it was a Kickstarter, and if it wasn't Kickstarter, it was you know Indiegogo or one of those similar things. But they raised money. It was a hardware and software product. So there's two things that could go wrong. And they completely pulled it off. I believe they were on time. And it works exactly as advertised. So it's like... Oh, yeah. And they're totally wireless. Whereas the, yeah. the du- duet required a cord. And the other thing with duet is the duet didn't fill the screen properly. Whereas mm-hmm. just looking at the the website of the Luna display, it, right. yeah, it clearly looks like a much more... Yeah. A much a much better product than what I was using. So but it's, it's super clever. So the, the hardware part is a dongle... And you have to buy the one for your machine. So they have a DisplayPort one or whatever it's called for like an older MacBook Pro like mine and a USB-C one for the newer ones with Thunderbolt. And you know how you can plug an actual external display into those ports? Well, you, it's just this is just a little dongle like what used to come with like a, like a mouse. You know, like you'd plug a thing into your USB-C or, or like a clicker for a presentation. And you'd put a little wireless thing into your USB port. And it only sticks out a little tiny bit. But it goes into DisplayPort, uh, the the by which I mean lowercase d, lowercase p, DisplayPort, the port on your computer that thinks it's for displays. So as soon as it goes in, your Mac thinks a display has been plugged in and says, okay, now you have an external display. But it's just a little wireless dongle that communicates to their app on your iPad. And all of a sudden, boom, your iPad is an external display for your Mac. The kernel extension part is without installing their kernel extension, you don't get uh, Retina. Touch. You know, you don't get Retina. Oh, Retina. Oh, that's what it is. Okay. So you you don't the, – the iPad shows up with like non-Retina graphics. So every pixel is actually four pixels on the on the display. And, and in a weird way, when you have a Retina display showing a non-Retina thing, to me it looks worse – than an actual non-retina display. Right. Because if you have an actual non-retina display, like an older iPad pre-retina, the the pixels are fuzzy. So the fact that, you know, it doesn't look as good as retina, but there's a fuzziness to it that kind of, it's like de facto anti-aliasing almost. Whereas when you have a retina display and it's using four pixels to show one pixel, the pixeliness is super sharp it is very pixelated yep Yep. um so and i just didn't i i I bought it to support them i you know idiot that i am uh it's like ah sure i'll spend 200 bucks or whatever it was to see if this works and then i saw that it worked and it's not that i don't trust them i believe that the the team is like former apple engineers so they're and and i know people who have you know who use this product uh and have the kernel extension displayed. And I've never once heard of anybody saying, yeah, yeah, you know, crashed my machine or anything. No problems at all. So I, 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 I'm not even bad-mouthing it. I just didn't feel like installing it. So I didn't use it's it. $70 for the record. There you go. 70 bucks. So if you're, you know, it's something to, for people to look at. But anyway, it might be, might be put out of business, unfortunately. We'll see what they do. Uh, but anyway, so I'll probably upgrade to ten fifteen earlier than later. I, I'm just hoping that they the, that those new MacBook Pros come out because I will be first in line to get them. Like the, the I mean the the problem for me is you know I, I mean I I I committed to a certain deadline so I have to write four days a week hmm. and so to like to 
travel with the constant fear that my computer is going to stop working. It just drives me up the wall. Like it's, <laughs> I just the, uh, it, it, I feel like the this current computer I have is just like a a constant low low grade worry like all the time. And like if if, if something like if so, I see some speck of dust fall on it, or like I mean I just like wait which one do you have? What is your what is your laptop? I have the uh, I have the MacBook Escape. So the uh, the one with only two ports and and right. not non touch bar. Is it the new one? Like the one that was updated? Uh, no, no, it's not. It's uh, it's whenever I. Yeah. 2017 maybe something, yeah. uh, something like that okay. so um yeah so no so it has the old the old, i think it's the second generation uh so it's but it's not doesn't have the the membrane or whatever it yeah. is yeah. um and but the other thing too is i feel uh, yeah, I know, i'm just getting older and the the, the 13s were nice but like i feel especially in those summers when i'm using it every day i'm like yeah i should i would i would be i could use a bigger screen here so so anyway i never fixed my screen don't want to now it's charming to me so I'm rocking it until Apple comes out with a, a MacBook Pro that I feel is appealing. Hopefully soon. So maybe my this beloved computer will be retired soon. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, I kick the cord out. And every time that happens, I think, I wonder what the hell I'll do when that's a USB-C thing. And it's going to like, is it going to yank my whole... Like, I, haven't the table. Heard, I haven't heard a lot of stories from people. Like, like it when when Apple first went USB-C only for power and everything and got rid of MagSafe with these. There was lots of people saying, wow, that's a shame. I loved MagSafe. Seems like an odd feature to do away with. But I haven't really heard stories from people like son of a bitching because they kicked the cable and their laptop fell over, fell off the table or desk and broke. I I haven't heard that. So maybe the cable, you know, USB-C cables come out easily enough. I don't know. Yeah, I think they do come out easier. Um, I yeah, I, I've I, I've found to be uh, less of an issue than I thought as well. And actually, it's nice in some ways. I, I again, one one of my big use cases is on airplanes, and that's it, it's more likely they're just going to kind of knock out the MagSafe there. Yeah. And when you don't want to, and in, in this case, the fact that it's a little sturdier is is a nice thing. I could and I would imagine having it on both sides. You could plug it on either side would be pretty handy, but. The one I have only has ports on one side, so it's it's kind of a moot point. Yeah, the two side thing would be nice, but you don't have it. <laughs> well, I, I yeah, I mean, I mean, I just I have no desire for a touch bar. Uh, so, but that's that's we'll, we'll see. Do you think the sixteen inch or whatever this rumored new one is going to have a touch bar? Uh, that's a good question. I think yes, and I wonder though because uh, it seems like universally the touch bar is considered. Either I don't know anyone that likes the touch bar. Like uh, literally, I don't uh, think I know a single person. I would say the range of opinion only goes from despising it to ambivalence, and I don't know anybody who actually likes it. Like to me, the the best sentiment I can I know of anybody who has about it is, eh, eh that's okay. You know, it's yeah, uh, it's fine. It's fine. Whereas the, the, whereas I know other people who truly dis, truly despise it. Well, it's interesting because they did dump the 3D Touch on the phone, which uh, which I really liked. I'm 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 disappointed that it's gone. I can understand like it w- anything that's not discoverable is just sort of fundamentally problematic. So I yeah. can understand why why it's gone. But I I do I really like the iPhone 11. It, I think it's it's a it's a great phone. The camera is obviously amazing. Uh, I, I feel particularly great because I have the. Um, 
I have the green model with the yellow gold leather case, so it has my Green Bay mm. Packers colors. Mm. L- looks very sharp, very sharp. Uh, but I do miss 3D Touch a lot, like a lot more than I expected. Well, the, and the shame of it is that uh, we should skip. I have iPhone 11 as an entire topic, so we can table most of this for that. But but I, I feel the shame of it with 3D Touch is that um, it, it's like, now it's gone in all of the new phones, and so the future is clear that iOS devices, it's this haptic touch going forward. But the worst part is that for devices that do have 3D touch, like a year-old iPhone, it's finally implemented the way it should have been all along, where I, I've been – I don't know if I've written strongly enough about it, but all along I have thought – the, the discoverability is a bit of an issue, but I feel the bigger problem is the has always been the overloading of similar. That's right, because you had both long press and you had and you had right. touch at the same time. Right. So that, that's a great point. Yeah, you should only have one of the two. Right. And it'd be great if the only one was three D touch instead. The only one is is long press. Right. So just look no further than the home screen, an aspect of the iPhone that everybody has to deal with in some way, and a long press on an icon put you into jiggle mode to delete or rearrange apps, and a three D touch got you the shortcut menu. But that is that is a really fine distinction in terms of I, I have always thought that 3d touch should just be a faster way to do a long touch it's a long touch without waiting for the long you can just skip that delay yep. and yep. now that's what it is if you still have a phone with 3d touch which is awesome which is what it should have been all along and it's unified the interface and it's the same set of things and i have a new iphone and so i'm stuck with the delay <laughs> And it, it really right. does annoy me. I saw, I heard the ATP guys bitching about it when, uh, I think I'm an episode behind now, but their second to last episode was the episode where, where Casey and, and Marco had just gotten their, uh, their new phones and were uh, maybe even like the day or day before they recorded. And they were both being driven nuts by the delay on the home screen when you, Press and hold on the uh, camera button. To go well, ahead. the lock screen. Lock screen. I mean, it, lock is screen. where it's particularly yeah. annoying. That's yeah. what I meant, lock screen. Uh, you kind of get used to it after you've had the phone for a week or two, but not really. I mean, you're always. it always seems like it should be faster. And it is very, yep. very strange that, that the phones are literally... <laughs> <laughs> they literally have the fastest single core performance of any computing device Apple has ever sold. <laughs> so on and you know the the iMac Pro is definitely a faster computer at multi-core stuff and that's really what the Pro workflows are optimized for. So it's not a faster computer overall than an iMac Pro, but on single core which a lot of things a lot of things you do are on one thread uh <laughs> It is the fastest computer they sell. It's a phone, a cell phone, that is the fastest single-core computer Apple sells. And yet, getting to the camera takes longer, which is yep. very frustrating. All right, let me take a break. Thank our first sponsor, uh, to our good friends at Squarespace. Boy, do I like Squarespace. Um, you can build just about any website you could imagine using Squarespace. And I'll tell you what. You probably don't know it, but every week, you probably visit several websites that were built with Squarespace. And you... The person just visiting the website, maybe it's a restaurant, you want to check the hours, find out when they're open, look at the menu, that sort of thing. Uh, Maybe it's uh, a designer or somebody's blog. Maybe it's a podcast and you're going to check out their website. Guess what? Very good chance that if it's a new website built in the last few years, it might be built with Squarespace. And you wouldn't know and you shouldn't know because they're just great websites. 
uh, with when you build a new website using Squarespace, you get to start with a whole bunch of professionally designed templates, templates that work and scale to any size screen. Uh, you can adjust them to any degree you want to make the brand of the website your own. And you do it all without needing to know any sort of code. You can just do it all WYSIWYG right there in your browser. Uh, they have great technical support and they offer everything from registering domains to analytics. So you can see the stats, who's visiting your website, where they come from, uh, to all the design stuff you would need to the uh, CMS type stuff for entering a new blog post, posting a new podcast, all of it, you go through Squarespace. You don't need to install anything else. You don't need to install software updates. You don't need to worry about keeping the server up to date with security patches and stuff like that. All of that just happens automatically with Squarespace. Uh, intuitive, easy to use, everything you'd want. So here's what you do. You get a free trial, 30 days. You don't even have to pay a nickel. Go to squarespace.com slash talk show. And when you decide to sign up 30 days later, just remember that code talk show, T-A-L-K-S-H-O-W, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. My thanks to Squarespace for their continuing years-long support of this podcast. Uh, hey, speaking of new, uh, new uh, laptops, Microsoft had an event uh, two days ago, I believe. They did. Uh, Where was yeah, it? I think this was right. Where the hell did they? I was in have? New York, in, in New York City. So yeah, you were you were down the road. Yeah, I should have gone. I I, I I don't think to ask for things like that until after the event. I, I probably <laughs> right. like gosh, oh, that makes. Uh, but it was really interesting, and uh, you were up late, as you are right now. I was up early, uh, and uh, I was following along live, and. Uh, I thought it was an interesting event. I think they're doing some interesting stuff. And, and then at the very end, I think that they blew it. <laughs> uh, but you commented, I know we were, we were chatting with each other, that like one of the first things they did, and I don't know which segment it was, if they were talking about their laptop or their two-in-ones with the detachable keyboards, but they, they made a pointed reference up there in front of the audience that uh, one of the things they would never compromise on is the keyboard. Which, yeah, no, they're like, it just, like, we want to make sure that it always works. It's always there for you. Your computer <laughs> is something you can trust. And then what was great is not only did the, the presenter say the keyboard, but before he said the keyboard, the slide like cut to the keyboard. So it was like, it, it was like first a visual reminder and then like the p pregnant pause right. and then the actual statement of, of, for example, the keyboard. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the only thing they could have done to make it more clear would have been to like pause the whole thing and start winking <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, to know what they're referring to. And, you know, it, it, that's fair game. You know, Apple did this to themselves. You know, it's, this is a legitimate, you know, like Microsoft has had some ham fisted marketing uh, to say the least over the years. I mean, they held a funeral for the iPhone at one point <laughs> and they literally had a, funeral procession marching around redmond washington uh you know turns out uh iphone wasn't dead at the time um turns out but this keyboard thing is with macbooks is a legitimate issue and and you know we can argue about the severity of it we certainly it seems as though it has been mitigated to some degree finally with this 
the combination of the membrane and the quote unquote material change that they made over the summer with the current keyboards. If you go in and buy one today, or if you get your old one serviced, um, but they're not great keyboards period. In my opinion, I, even if your keys work as they are designed on your keyboard, I just don't think they're great keyboards. So I feel like, and, and to me as a writer, uh, the keyboard is very important. I'm also very picky about my keyboard, so it's even more important. And there are an awful lot of people out there, maybe their business card doesn't say writer, but there are certainly an awful lot of people out there whose day-to-day work involves a lot of typing, right? That is just, that's just what it means to be a worker in our generation, you know, in the world today. You send emails, you you do presentations, you're in Slack, or I guess in the Microsoft world, you're on Teams or whatever they call their thing. It, people doing work are doing a lot of typing. So that's fair game, you know, good for them. And and Microsoft has always made good peripherals. You know, we know uh, they've always made good mice. They have, I, I'm, I'm using, I have a Microsoft keyboard sitting in front of me right now. It, you are a devotee of the Microsoft keyboard. What's it called? Is that the one that Marco has too? Yeah, the same one as Marco. Yeah, yeah. The, the first version of the Sculpt keyboard. It's 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 a great keyboard. It's... Uh, I I love yeah it's just a great keyboard it it it, uh, it, it, it and the the keys are great and my wife has a Surface laptop also and um and it's it's a great computer like it's it's the I thought I I didn't like the the look of that like that weird like felt sort of thing but actually once you actually use it it's not it's not nearly as bad actually she has a like this blue color that looks quite sharp the keyboard's great. Like the hardware is fantastic, and they actually, uh, you know, Microsoft laptops they actually have good trackpads, which is always like yeah. a bugaboo on on PCs in general. Like the hardware is really, really, really good. I mean, obviously it's Windows, it's it's not Mac OS, and that's you know for for many folks a deal breaker. But as far as just the pure hardware goes, I think given this keyboard issue, I think it's pretty safe to say that Microsoft makes the best. The, the best laptops in in the industry like it, it's they do there's there's nothing they work it's what they said so the other ten they look great they they have a better port selection they have great screens they have great keyboards they have great trackpads yeah, yeah so and that it's gets a, it's a fair shot and that's a recurring theme in my writing for years ever since I've been doing it that for me the OS is primary and the hardware is secondary and I've always said that I would much rather it, it, by far, without a moment's hesitation, use Mac OS on PC hardware than use Windows on MacBook hardware. And yep. same way with iOS and Android. But it's far stronger of a preference, Mac versus Windows, than Android versus iOS. Um, even yeah, though that's and, a strong and, preference. And, but and It's uh, funny because in many respects, that's what, that's what a Surface is. It's, it's, it's basically MacBook quality, right. but it runs Windows. Right. So. But I, I'm fully cognizant of the fact that there are, are many people who are don't feel that way and are have, have either either through ambivalence or through deliberate choice in the software that they choose to use are can can switch between platforms rather easily. Um, you know, if you certainly if you have a mostly web app workflow, it's almost trivial to switch from one. OS, you know, Windows to Mac to Chrome OS, because you're just using browser tabs. Um, and there's, you know, people who use real apps who still don't, you know, are fed up. You know, I get email from people who are like, you know, I've been a Mac user 
for a while and I had a bum keyboard. So hell with it. I bought uh, some windows thing and I, you know, very happy with it. Um, so there's certainly a lot of people like that and Microsoft is certainly pitching them. And it's more than just that the hardware is good too. The other thing that I always thought was part of the surface appeal. And you wrote about this this week in your in Stratechery and your your coverage of the Microsoft event is why why do they even make hardware, right? It's a good question, right? And it's certainly not important to Microsoft financially. But I always thought I thought the one thing maybe you didn't mention in your coverage was that part of it was I think internally they were just a little fed up with all the shovelware and crapware that all the OEMs put in. That in the same way that why Google makes the Pixel hardware, I I feel like Microsoft makes the Surface stuff as to at least have one set of here's high quality hardware with Windows as we meant it to be used by the user. Yep. You know, it, that, that was definitely a, a, a part of it. And, you know, not having the crap were on it. And also just the little stuff, like I mentioned, the trackpad thing. Like, that, like the – just all this small stuff works right. And right. there's attention to detail, like, throughout throughout the machine. And for sure, that was a motivation. The reason why I've always been a big critic of Surface generally, it's a very sort of, like it, – it's just because, you know, the origin of Surface. And this is something I wrote this week. I mean, it, it was <laughs> – you know, Satya Nadella, they're the reason we started Surface seven years ago, and it was all total uh, BS, <laughs> because I was there at the time, and and I, so in the day that day I went back and linked to uh, Steve Ballmer's presentation, which was there was all about Windows, 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 yeah. and Surface Surface was a manifestation of Windows, and Windows was the center of Microsoft, et cetera, et cetera, and that part of Microsoft needed to die, like it needed to not be a company about Windows, and and so that was why I was always against the Surface, because in my mind Surface existed because it was meant to be a physical manifestation of windows right. and anything windows related needed to die and you know now i'm like you know well the surface honestly it's not that big a deal it's six billion dollars in revenue microsoft did what 120 billion last year or something like that and you know the margins are much smaller than the rest of the company right. uh but you know what Satya Nadella killed windows like he it's one of the most incredible sort of corporate change jobs ever the way he like really transformed the culture there and so you know what if they want to mess around making hardware and very good hardware at that and and frankly you know from what i can see they seem to be pretty popular i mean you see you know i see them around yeah. a fair bit probably more than the other pc i see um that's fine it's fine because it, like the the reason i worried about surface's existence is gone and all those other reasons like we want to ha- actually have nice PCs and we don't want to have a bunch of crap we're on it and we want to sort of have more control and hey we'll we'll take that extra bit of margin if we sell into the corporate place where we get the hardware margin and the software margin that's fine it's great I, 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 I'm glad they're doing it and and you know what I'm glad someone is up there making fun of Apple for having shit keyboards because heaven knows Apple deserves it so so good for them yeah and it's sort of like um it, it, in a way, you're right that that what Nadella has done is truly extraordinary. Because, and and, and I think if you want to boil down what was the reason for showing Balmer the door and switching, you know, putting Nadella in. I mean, clearly there were several strategic shifts that Nadella introduced. But I think if you really want to boil it down to a a, a, a nut. It was weird. It's no longer Windows first. It's, That's right. That's it, absolutely right. 
and it's you know it's not like Windows has been put in the ash heap. They still no, they still make a lot of money off of Windows, right? right? Which is which is fine, but it it, it it's it, not the the driving force well, of no. the company like it was. No, but in in another sense, by focusing on what was important, like office productivity apps and the Azure stuff, is certainly very important to them too. Their cloud stuff is very successful. Um, but like with the office stuff, in a sense, the strategy hasn't changed at all. The idea, the old idea was we'll have windows everywhere and therefore we'll be able to have our apps everywhere. Well, their apps are still everywhere. And it's, in fact, there are more places because now they're, you know, that I think when Balmer was still there, they were still sort of sitting on iPad apps that for office that, that they had that were like yep. ready. No, but, that's right. They they were built under Balmer, right. but he wouldn't release them until the Windows version was ready. Right. And so when Dadella came in, the first presentation he did uh, is about a month month in month two months in was was unveil Office for iPad, and it was it was a and yes they were built under, under Balmer, and maybe by the end Balmer said okay fine I'll let this sit until you come out. I don't I mean who knows yeah. what the mechanics were, but it was such a perfect sort of like coming out party for Nadella. Right. To be like, like, no, like Windows doesn't call the shots anymore. Right. And, it, you know, it, it was an important way of saying it, it was uh, symbolic. Right. And it was sort of That's like. Right. Exactly. Uh, it, you know, Steve, and Steve Jobs did the same thing when he came back to Apple in 1997. Where, oh, that's such a great analogy. I wish I would have made that before. You're right. It's, right? it's the exact same thing. It's the exact same thing. And it, what Jobs did was launch the Think Different ad campaign. And because it was he wanted to say he wanted something out the door that said, hey, Apple is different now. There's a new, there's a new team in town. And a product takes too long, right? Because Jobs and, and the next crew came in, and they had years of work ahead of them. It, it, they underestimated it, of course, because everybody underestimates how long software is going to take. But what we now know is Mac OS X didn't come out till 2001. It was four years ahead. Uh, yeah, it wasn't the, really usable until like 2003. Yeah, and the iMac is the m more important thing but the iMac they had to start from scratch when Jobs came in and realized that there was this guy named Johnny Ive and a great industrial design team and they said they had to you know they, they got working on it very soon but they still had to wait for it so what could they get out the door quickly an ad campaign well Nadella luckily enough had these iPad apps there it ready you know just polish them up let's get them out and it'll tell the world hey you know there's a new team running Microsoft. We have a new strategy. But if anything, the let's put our office apps everywhere strategy, there, everywhere includes more places now than when it was Windows, Windows, Windows. Because it's still there's still first-class apps on Windows, of course, but now they're everywhere. They're on Android, which we'll have more to talk about in a moment, uh, iOS, and, of course, you know the Mac still. Uh, if anything, well, it's... So he it's more strategic. It's almost impossible to buy a computer today where you can't run MS Office. Well, it, actually, I thought that what you were going to go back to is not the campaign. Oh. I thought you were going to go back to uh, the Macworld Boston where oh, Bill that, Gates appears on the screen. Right. And Steve Jobs is up there saying, look, we can't be yeah. fighting this battle anymore. Yeah. Like, we got we, we got to move on. Well, and to me, that's an even, an even mm. better comparison to this yeah. because it's quite literally embracing your competitor. Yeah. And that's what Nadell did. Yeah, you're right. Like, the Balmer, you know, he, he was fortunate enough that the product had already been built. So all he had to do was release it. And that was even more powerful than putting someone on screen or, or some, something on those lines. But I think the, the idea and the, 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 like, the impact that has 
not just on the outside world, but on like your own employees and your own company. And it's like, shit, Steve Jobs is on stage with Bill Gates. And now it's like, oh, Sachi Nadella's first act, our new CEO's first mm. act is to is to walk around with an iPad in his hand. Yeah, that's a good one too. I mean, it, it, it was, you know, they're all of of the same mentality though. Let's let let's let you know. Let's let's show how different we are. And you're right. You know, it, it, I would say the think different campaign was the one that was first out the door, but less important. More important was that MacWorld New York keynote where they it, it buried the hatchet. Um, I, I think the very close to an accurate uh, quote without googling it is, "We have to let go." This is Steve Jobs. We have to let go of the idea. That for Apple to win, Microsoft has to lose. Yep, you have to let go. Yep. And yep. you know, and it did not go over well. There were like, I don't think no, he got. No, booed. I think there was booze. I, I yeah, think there was, was there booze. was some booze, and it was it uh, just like uh, whatever the sound, the collective sound of an audience going, "What the fuck." <laughs> Well, yep. that's the noise that was in the audience. It, it you know, and they, there were some scattered booze uh, because there are a lot of Apple fans at the time who really uh, did see this as a holy war. Uh, and Jobs was exactly right, you know. And, and like I often say about Apple, you know, you, it, they're more often than not when they tell you something, they mean they mean exactly what they say. And what he said it wasn't like subterfuge. It wasn't, yeah, I'm just gonna say that we're burying the hatchet with Microsoft, but I've got a secret plan where we're gonna kill him. No, he meant it. He meant every single word that he said. Yep. And look Absolutely. at you know, look at the years, you know, look at the success that they had by letting go and, of that notion. And, and what he said after actually, I, I I wrote about this a while ago, so I was, actually was able to find the speech. And you you said it almost perfectly. I've let go of the notion that for Apple to win, Microsoft has to lose. And then his next line, I think, is just as good, which is he says, "We have to embrace a notion that for Apple to win, Apple has to do a really good job." Yeah. And it, <laughs> like like there's something very refreshing about that because the fact of the matter is, most of Apple's products then were kind of crappy, and uh, and certainly the operating system was 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 a total mess. We've talked about this you know before and and you know the, it's 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 liberating in a way it's like you know what we just need to do what we're good at and we will succeed and i think it was the same thing with microsoft like they're fighting they were fighting this losing battle to try to prop windows up and and what they needed to do was take their assets that were still valuable that were still effective and the new assets that were bring online in terms of azure and whatnot and let them win by being good don't make let them win by being tied to windows let them right. win on their own merits and and yep. that's exactly what they've done yeah um i'm not particularly interested in microsoft's latest products because i'm not going to use windows but i'm glad they're there but uh, i get confused by the names the one that i like is i like the one called the surface laptop <laughs> because i know which one it is <laughs> it's the laptop uh they also have the surface pro X, I guess. So this is confusing. So, 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 so the, I'll, I'll explain it. The Surface Pro is a regular x86 PC. Uh, the Surface Pro X is an ARM PC. is 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 ARM based. So, um, but yeah, it, it's it is it is a little confusing. It, is, it, it's, it looks like great hardware. I mean, it's basically yeah. an iPad. Yeah, uh, or an the, iPad Pro. I would say it's iPad Pro class because it's right. it starts at a thousand dollars. Yep, and it's got the keyboard attachment as the the cool like the stylus goes into the keyboard, which is really nifty. So so you don't have like a separate thing mm. floating around. Um, but uh, but yeah. So they, and then they had the um, 
that stuff they have this, the the earbuds uh you know as i clicked on twitter <laughs> are you a tech company if you don't sell earbuds um and then and then obviously the the the, the dual screen devices that i'm not going to watch for the a while. earbuds was the i was on my way to a meeting at the time and, and so the earbuds uh, which is a very strange thing for me to say <laughs> to me to say i don't really have a lot of meetings but i was on my way to a meeting in new york and i was uh watching the uh the Microsoft event on my phone with my AirPods as I was getting ready to go to the subway and, and I knew I'd lose the stream on the subway. Uh, and the earbuds was the last segment I saw. And I just had to laugh because <laughs> their pitch for the earbuds was entirely based on integration with office. <laughs> I know it was, it was pretty funny, which I laugh. I, you know, but maybe they know their audience, you know, like, <laughs> but it was, like how did you know what though i'll tell you i'll tell you why I'll, t- I'll tell you why i didn't mind i mean it was it was a little i mean it was kind of silly like you who buys earbuds because they work with your favorite uh office productivity suite and favorite probably deserves some air quotes around that uh but you know what it was it was uh that's a microsoft with his head screwed on straight you know what i mean like yeah at the end of the day in a vacuum, it's ridiculous that you're going to try to sell AirPods that they because they work with Office. But if you zoom out, like that's emblematic of a Microsoft that knows where their bread is buttered. Yeah. Like it, what matters is actually Office and Azure, and actually that's you know the cool part of the of the of the uh, AirPods, whatever they're called, is that they do integrate with Azure and they do this live captioning and live translation and stuff like that. Basically, what Google promised with their with their Google Buds last year, but it didn't really work very well. Hmm. Um, it certainly appeared to work much better. Uh, with what at least what I've demonstrated. We'll see. You know, once once they actually come out, and so it's a product that ties in with Office and ties in with Azure, and like that's like maybe that's kind of silly for the product in a vacuum, but for what that says about Microsoft, like at least they their heads in the right place. I thought it was interesting too. I enjoyed watching the event, and I thought that I I feel like Microsoft has this down, and I feel like they do their events like this the right way for them. I mean, they're clearly smaller and lower key than Apple's. You know, they're not in a big. Uh, a, a huge room. It is. It, they are definitely press events. Like the right. one thing, like Neil and I were quite talking small. About, yeah, is that Apple? The one thing, like that. Not to go too far, digress, but like the Charlie Wars, Warzel column in the New York Times, goofily arguing that Apple should stop doing events. One of the misguided premises of that was that these that Apple's events are press events, that they're media events. They are not. They are Apple events, and they happen to invite a small number of media. <laughs> to observe them. Uh, whereas right. Microsoft thing this week was a press event that was for the press. And most of the people there were press. But anyway, one of the things that I saw uh, that I, that struck me was how different their demos are than Apple's demos. Apple's demos are very short, very flashy, very visual, and everything is set up. And it's like, if they want to show you the new side by side stuff in the iPad, it's like, here's this pretty web page with, beautiful pictures and here's a note that already has a couple of nice pictures and here's a we're going to drag this beautiful picture from the left to the right and let it go and look at that you can drag a picture and then it's on to the next thing right like the demo's over all they showed you was a beautiful photo being dragged from an app on the left to an app on the right whereas the microsoft demos it's like you get to spend like four minutes watching somebody work in excel (laughs) 
<laughs> no, that, like, actually, that was what, that, that was actually one of the low key coolest demos was when they were writing in Excel right. and they was changing it into actual text as they were doing yeah. it. Um, but yeah, but it's like you are literally watching someone literally write in Excel. <laughs> it is exactly like like if you work in a, a, a off, lowercase o office environment and you like pop into somebody's cubicle right. and you're just like, hey, what are you doing? And you're just like watching them over their shoulder for a couple of minutes while they you know put together a spreadsheet or a presentation. And again, I laugh. I laugh only because it's different. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I think that they know their audience and it's probably the appropriate type of demo for the audience and and for the message they have. But it is kind of comical because it really it, it couldn't be more different than Apple's. And Apple's is, if anything, gone further over the years into not that it's unrealistic, but that it is really more it's it's almost edited. You know, it's like they, they yep. have the whole thing that's queued up, to ready it. to go. Uh and even watching them do it live on stage isn't that different than what you would see if they cut it into a 30-second commercial to show you how it works. Yep. Uh, so the ear, the I think they're just called earbuds, Surface earbuds. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, Surface earbuds. Uh, and before I cracked wise about them, I, I wanted to make sure, I, I checked my bias, I showed them to my wife, and I said, hey, do these look goofy? And she goes, they they look like an Apple Watch charger or those <laughs> those spacers that people put in their earlobes. Nope. Yes, uh, that's what I thought of. The, the yeah. spacers in the earlobes is exactly what I thought of. So I didn't want to make – I thought of that too, and I didn't want to make fun of that. Uh, I, I felt like, you know, that, that paints me – you know, if you want to have spacers in your earlobes, you, you have spacers in your earlobes. So I didn't want to make fun of fun of that. So I thought that the Apple Watch charger joke was the way to go. So I used it. And then like later in the day, it's nice to know. See, she thought she was getting a dig in on me. She says, huh, I see I'm writing for Daring Fireball now because I used, <laughs> I used her joke. But secretly pleased me because she often claims not to read my, my website. And I know oh, there she you does. Go. There you go. <laughs> Are we going to talk about charcoal at some point in this podcast? That's the real question. <laughs> well, we might as well. <laughs> Yeah, we could talk about charcoal. <laughs> all right, no, well, we should say that for the end. We, we, right. we still got to talk about the dual screen devices, all right, all right. All right. but we could we could save the charcoal for the end. All right, uh, let me make a note that we'll get back to charcoal. Do you, do you need any charcoal? Uh, <laughs> do I have a choice in the matter? <laughs> no, it's on its way. Actually, uh, let me take a break though and thank our next sponsor, Express VPN. You, you ever use public Wi-Fi? You ever get it to the airport, get on the old uh, public Wi-Fi in there because your cell connection is dead at the end of the terminal, but they've got, you know, SFO public Wi-Fi or whatever uh, in a coffee shop. Maybe, maybe it's because you're you're on a Mac. You don't have, you know, you're not ready to tether or something like that. Hey, we've all been there. Maybe it's a hotel, something like that. Well, guess what? It's not really secure. In fact, it's kind of unsecure. And you ever get on there? You ever get on, like, uh, you're on the airplane, you get on the Wi-Fi, there's a situation where you have to, and all of a sudden you look at AirDrop, and there's, like, 14 people in your AirDrop because everybody is on the same Wi-Fi network. Well, guess what? You can use to get on an insecure network but have a secure connection to the Internet. What you need is a VPN, a virtual private network. Uh, ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. So the websites you visit won't even know your IP address. So it's not just security, it's also privacy. 
very, very important to have that distinction to know that it, it gives you both. They've got easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer, phone, and tablet. And turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes one click. That's important, too, because I know what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, this sounds good. I kind of heard of VPNs. I don't really know how they work. I just know it would be better if I have one, but I don't, I don't know how the hell to set it up. What do I do? Is it like a 13-step process? No. You install the app. One click. There you go. Then you're surfing safely on public Wi-Fi without being snooped on or having your personal data stolen. Uh, for less than 7 bucks a month, you can start using ExpressVPN. It's rated number one as the VPN service by TechRadar and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't like it, get all your money back. Uh, protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash TTS. TTS for the talk show. That's expressvpn.com slash TTS. And you can get three months free with a one-year package. My thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring the show. Uh, so the other thing, the thing that stole the show at Microsoft's event they closed the show with two products. They had two two more things. The uh, Surface Duo and the Surface Neo, which, again, I've already forgotten which one's which. <laughs> I know. I was just thinking the same thing. I think the Neo is the tablet slash courier one. The Duo is yeah. the phone, but I'm not Oh, uh, uh, no, certain. I think it's the other way around. Son of a bitch. Uh, God damn it. Uh, yeah, no, I'm right. Duo is the phone. Oh, Duo is oh. the Android, and Neo is oh. the Windows device. See, I was thinking Neo is an N, and Android has an N, <laughs> but that that's wrong. Oh man! All right, so Duo is the phone. I don't know how I'm going to remember this, but anyway, it's a phone, and I, I thought Lauren Good, she had wired, she had. Uh, a preview. She got to, I guess, talk to them a week before, a couple of days before the event, and and had a a feature story and an interview with the, uh, uh, what's his name, Panay. Uh, well, both both. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm not sure either. Yeah. Uh, pa- pa- Panos Panay Panos and uh, Sachin Nadella. Yeah, both of them. Right. Um, and Panos Panay is sort of the uh, he's the Surface guy. It's like Surface. The whole Surface division is sort of his baby. At, at Microsoft. Um, and she had a great story. It, it, and she's like, whatever you do, don't call it a phone, even though it's a thing that runs Android and can fit in your pocket and can make phone calls. But don't call right. it a phone. <laughs> I mean, there's a remarkable quote in here. I mean, just so we can get to the devices yeah. in a moment. But right. just going back to what we were talking about before, uh, where she asked Adela, uh, you know, if the, they would ever bring back Windows Mobile, and they both right. said no. And he says, quote, the operating system is no longer the most important layer for us. What is most important for us is the app model and the experience, how people are going to write apps, blah, 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 blah. And uh, like just to hear, I mean, that's clearly the case, but it's still remarkable to have a Microsoft CEO state baldly that the operating system is not important to us. Right. Well, and, and you know what? It, and it goes hand in hand with the fact that they're switching their, their browser to using the uh, Chromium engine yep. you know the the I, f- I think it's called blink I, I it's like what webkit is to safari blink is to chrome and that's what 
Microsoft is now using for their browser, which again, go back to like 1998 and tell somebody that. And, you know, especially somebody like me who was doing web development at the time. And you're just like, it's like, you know, what are you going to tell me next? Donald Trump is the president of the United States. I mean, oh, man. I mean, that's crazy. That's, that's not the way they, what kind of world are you guys living in in 2019? You know, but yep. there we are. But you're right. You know, they're making a phone, but it's not a phone. It folds. It's definitely a phone. This is not coming out for a year. I wanted to see pictures of the damn thing next to other phones just to get a better idea of how big it is. Like, yep. it's clearly big for a phone, even when folded up. But, you know, some people really like these much bigger, you know, much bigger than even the Max iPhone phones. Some people like them. Uh, it certainly is interesting. It folds, but it's not a folding screen. It is two screens with a seam in between. And then they've got two of them. They've got the phone size one and then the, the other one, I guess that's the Neo. So I guess the way I'll remember it is it goes alphabetical order by size. Duo, then Neo. All right. Oh, I'll there you go. All right. And then Pro. <laughs> then laptop kind of screws it up. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I. it's interesting because in some respects, if you want to go with the whole, like, this is all symbolism and none of it really matters, then, like, you know, I, I think as, you know, Microsoft – launching a phone that runs Android is like the tombstone on the Windows grave. I mean, it doesn't get any more sort of extreme than that. Um, that noted, I, I don't know, I, I kind of wish, like, I thought the Neo was a great sort of one more thing. Uh, yeah. Microsoft, there's this there's this product uh, called the the Courier, this le- sort of uh, legendary product that was that was never released, and everyone's like, oh, it's so amazing. That that was this two-screen product. And, and you bring this along, it's like, oh, I remember they were going to do that one time and it's like it's something new and interesting and innovative and you can even get the i can understand where you're saying this you know announcing this a year early because you want to rewrite we want developers to write programs for two screens and stuff on those lines um and i thought that was fine the like the phone it's like ah, I, I mean i guess i i guess i get it um I, I i don't know i guess i feel like the neo was fine the duo was like okay that's okay if, if we're if this is all about symbolism then by all means launch you know announce it all you want um i'm a little unsure about what they're trying to accomplish there but hey they they they, they announced they announced an android phone so so there you go it, that's not coming out until the end of 2020 by their uh, it's just, right it's i don't know and right. then, it, and then it, i i went to put these show notes together and and for you know for the me and you talking here and it was actually hard to find links to the other products because all of the stuff like yep everyone uh, talks about that i mean everything like on the entire front page of the verge is is about the duo and the neo it it, you have to go to like page two to find the stuff that you know is actually shipping yeah yeah and like i I don't know i like the like i mean again if you do just the neo it's like okay, yeah, window hardcore Windows developers. I could see them spending time in the next years to be the hot device in Windows world, and you know they'll uh, adapt their applications. I mean, but the duo, what Android developer is going to p- put in special support for the duo? Like, what are we accomplishing by announcing it a year early? No one's going to go out of their way to support it. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I like I said, I I can buy the Neo and announcing it a year ahead of time because you want developer support, but that doesn't actually make sense for the duo it, it kind of felt like they just they they they're making it an android product and they wanted to announce it and say huh look at this and um yeah I, I i didn't quite get it but whatever like i said it doesn't really matter so <laughs> uh 
All right. What else do we got here? Uh, I guess that's enough Microsoft talk. Let's talk iPhone, right? So what'd you get? You got the iPhone 11 Pro iPhone 11 Pro, I think it's the perfect size. Uh, the, with the old version, when they had the whips, uh, I thought it was too small. And so I did do a couple years of the large ones, uh, which I didn't like because a little big, but I just found the screen too small the other ones. Once the 10 came out and it went edge to edge, uh, it got the screen size that I wanted, fit in the hand. So I'm I'm very happy with the size. Uh, so no, 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 so I don't need to change. And I, I'm, I'm very pleased with it. And you got the yellow leather cover? I have a yellow leather cover with the green case. Uh, it, it really is very, very Green Bay Packers like. I think the le- the yellow looks great when it's just sitting on the table with the with the the screen up. It's this yellow edge around it. Um, yeah, I'm 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 pretty pleased with it. Uh, and how's your battery? I, like? I did get the clear case originally. I ordered yeah. it with a clear case because so like, oh, finally they actually have a color for the high end phone. because yeah. I, I always like the color, so I was want you know, like, yeah. but of course I'm gonna get the high end phone because um, <laughs> I'm. Uh, uh, fortunate enough to do that, uh, but the uh, the so I got the clear case, but I have, I've always gotten the leather cases previously, and I was not a fan of the clear case. I I felt it end up looking grimy on the back. I didn't like the feel of it. Mm-hmm. The buttons were terrible. Um, so I lasted about uh, a week, and then I I went to the, the new Apple store here in Taipei, and um, I actually didn't know there was yellow. And uh, and was pleasantly surprised to find this yellow, and and, uh, and I am a happy camper. Uh, I have a friend who has the clear case. He likes it a lot. Uh, I think it's you know polarizing now. It, it you either like it or you don't. It's yeah. I mean, it's I, definitely I, I, different. I'm used to the weather, so yeah. yeah. So it's probably more just a habit thing than anything. Yeah, I, I have a real problem with cases. Is that I I <laughs> I spend probably. Over the years, in the 11 years of iPhone, I've probably spent close somewhere in the very high 90s, 98% of my daily use without any case at all. I mean, certainly in the early years, we didn't even have cases, right? Nobody put cases on like the iPhone 3G that I know of. Yep. Um, uh, uh, cases didn't really come into a thing until like around the iPhone 4. I guess maybe people did have iPhone 3 cases, and that's why Apple made the bumpers. I guess I'm wrong, that people did have iPhone 3 and 3GS, 3, 3G and 3GS cases, because that's when Apple, when the iPhone 4 shipped, they had the bumper. And it turned out, you know, in the, the whole Andenicate thing, where they were like, here, we'll just give you the goddamn bumper. Um but I thought that the reason that they made the bumper with the iPhone 4 was that Apple was I, – I, now I recall this. It, it seemed very clear that Apple was sort of appalled that people were covering up the entire back of the iPhone right. with the case. Yep. So they're like, don't do that. We spend a lot of time, especially with the iPhone 4, we spent a lot of time to make this glass back very pretty. Don't cover it up here. Just put a bumper around the edges if you just want to – give it some protection. No, and the fact remains, I just popped my case off mine. I mean, these phones in the hand are beautiful. They're great to hold. It's a fantastic experience. The, right. the, the problem is that I went caseless with the iPhone 7, and within about uh, two months, I actually had a large chunk of the front screen missing because it had been dropped multiple times. And you could see, like, into the phone. And uh, ever since then, I have, uh, I have, I have kept the case on for – not. I would like to not use the case. I just do not trust myself at all. 
I I chipped the front corner of my iPhone XS last year early. I forget when. It was probably like around December, so maybe like two, three months into owning it. I was getting out of an Uber after dinner and had like dress slacks on, which is unusual. You know, usually I'm either wearing jeans or jean-like pants that you know, like your phone doesn't fall pockets. out of yeah, your right. phone doesn't fall out of jean pockets. And most of the slacks that I own are more like jeans or are jeans. But I had dressier slacks on with the, you know, with the pocket where the phone can come right out and just sliding out of the Uber, just boop right on the street and it just put a little thing in the corner and it just barely didn't reach the pixels. So it's just the the, the chipped part was just and and you, the iPhone XS has a very small black bezel around the screen. So it was the entire chip part was in the black area. So I didn't get it fixed and it didn't spread at all in the subsequent nine to 10 months that I used it every day. Um, so again, sort of like my MacBook Pro with the, the the adhesion problem, it was just sort of like a scar that I came to like. You know, if it had covered the pixels at all, I would have been at the Apple store in the morning. <laughs> you know, yep. like one pixel had been covered by it, I would have been at the Apple store to pay for a replacement. But I actually just got my, my tennis fixed because... Um... Oh, sorry. I didn't, well, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But I, I did use a case last year with afterwards because I find I have I've personally found the 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 glossy glass backs to be slippery. And, and sometimes they're not depending on, you know, your the moisture of your hands. They're tacky. But there are other times when they, it's, it's like a bar of soap. So I did use a case last year, but my problem is that I'm not satisfied with any of them. So I wound up buying like 10 cases. <laughs> That I yeah, very I know. that's exactly what happens. Yeah. I very seldom use any of them. Yeah, no, I, I was um I was I was traveling and so I'm in the middle of a conversation, uh this 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 group chat and WhatsApp or whatever, and suddenly my phone just stops it, like it's not working. And so I'm trying to restart it, and finally I had to do the force quit with the volume buttons and the power button. I turn it back on, and I I can't get it to function and like there's a dead part of the screen basically what happened was there was this vertical strip on the touch screen that just stopped working and it was, it was so perfectly placed that i couldn't accomplish anything on my phone like there's a part of the keyboard that wasn't working i couldn't slide the thing to turn the phone off because it would hit the dead part of the screen and uh it was really quite bizarre and then the weirdest thing was uh i finally sent it in to get it fixed and i get it back and I have the I have the sheet that says, "Oh, we we examine your phone. We fix this." And not only did they fix the touchscreen, they put a new camera in the phone. Apparently, my camera had gotten broken too. I have no idea. <laughs> I, I was actually always very dissatisfied with the tennis camera. Maybe it was broken all along, and I had no idea. Um, but now I have like basically a brand new tennis and 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 my uh, and my eleven. Um, but it's funny. I should sell it because it's it's now in like beautiful pristine condition. But it like the it turns out uh traveling and having your phone die is devastating yeah. i mean it's like it, so i i'm actually going to keep this i'm not going to sell it and i'm going to keep it charged up and i'm going to put it in my bag when i travel it's the same thing it's like what like when this stuff's your life and is like yeah i do buy new phones because like like i get paid like I need to be online all the time. I need to be reading stuff. I need to be knowing what's going on. And I destroy my batteries because I'm, I'm using my phone all the time. But like that means like I need backups. And like you have to think about this all the time. Actually, you mentioned this about applications. 
I could switch to Windows because one of the things I did a few years ago was I made it – I will not use any application in my day-to-day work that does not have a web service component to it because my feeling is if my computer dies tomorrow, I need to be able to walk – get any computer in the world, Windows or Mac, and be up and running and get my work done. And and so like I won't use uh um and it's it's actually it's a very interesting way to think about some of your computing things. Probably the 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 application I was the saddest to give up was OmniFocus or not OmniFocus, um Omni Outliner. Omni Outliner. Brilliant outliner. I use like workflowy instead, which is not, you know, not nearly as fully featured as good, but 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 it has a web component. So it, it, like I just it, it's a solid line for me. Like I have to be able to have access to my stuff no matter what. Who knows? Maybe there there will be an online component to Omni Outliner because they actually did it for OmniFocus. For OmniFocus, they did, and I actually switched back to OmniFocus once they did it because I wow. switched away for that reason. And once they added it, uh, I I was back because it, it, it's it, it, I, I mean I love their products in general, but I've been a long time yeah. user of OmniFocus in particular. Yeah. Sponsor of the live episode of the talk show this year at WWDC, and I loved. <laughs> I love my blurb about it where we're all bitching about companies that only make web apps and and shovel them into a Mac wrapper and call it a Mac app. Uh, and Omni did they shoveled the, a they shoveled a Mac app into a web wrapper, right? <laughs> Which is just so totally Omni. I love it. Yep. Uh, so maybe Omni Outliner is next. I, I I I have friends there, but I don't know any such thing. So maybe not. Maybe, I, I maybe Omni Focus as a, a, a the, the nature of Omni Focus sort of suits it to. Uh, to being web appified in a way that the other productivity apps don't. But anyway, yeah, that's right. Because I mean, with Omni Outer, you I mean, you could save stuff to to a shared folder or whatever, which is fine. It's more a matter of actually because I used to work at Microsoft, and when I was at, Microsoft, I remembered a very formative moment was I needed a particular document that I knew I had made. And so I go into my Dropbox and I'm like, where's this document? And the document was in pages format. Uh, and the problem was I was on a Windows computer. There was no pages online at that point. And so I remember I had to literally go into my car, drive home, get my Mac, open up this document, and then come back. And I'm like, I'm not, never again. I'm never going to be stuck in a situation again where I can't access something I need. Well, good for you. But I, I'm, I, I'm very extreme. <laughs> you, no, no need to copy me. Uh, <laughs> well, what, what the hell were we talking about? Oh, the iPhone. Oh, the iPhone 11. iPhone yeah. 11. Uh, no, it, it's, it's a great. The, the the camera is like you can't you can't say enough about it. Like it's just it's consistently fun to use. Like yeah. I was taking pictures of I was taking ran over to to a friend's house before. I was taking my dog with me, and like she knows that we're going to this particular house because you know they have a yard which is relatively rare in Taiwan. They have a couple dogs, and so she like sees the neighborhood and she's getting super excited. And I like, taking pictures of her, and it's it's relatively dark and you get these really cool pictures of her, their paws out the window, you know, all, all pumped up. And, like, like it's just a whole new world that was not re- accessible as as far as having my phone with me before. And I find that coming up all the time and just all the, the – like, the, the Deep Fusion thing or whatever hasn't even launched yet. No. But it's – like, it, it's really remarkable. Like, just – it's very tangible – in the way it makes me feel about the phone and enjoy having the phone. Like it, it's, just, it's, it's so noticeable. Yeah. And it's just, it's rather startling just as somebody who's been a, a, a photo enthusiast. Now I'm certainly not professional caliber in any way, but I've been a photo enthusiast for 20 years and 
it's just remarkable sometimes the images that you get out of it in the dark with the night mode it's and you know that even when you're not using night mode it's just a great camera and um i noticed with the 10s and this is clearly a better camera but i was on a family vacation we went on a cruise with my family and my sister and her family in august and i took my fuji x100s and took a bunch of photos with it, but also took a bunch of photos with my phone. And then I was like looking at them in photos after the trip. And I was like, Oh, this one I had to shoot with the Fuji. And I'd like do the command. I, you know, on the Mac, you can, you know, get the command. I to see the metadata about the photo. I was like, Nope, uh, that was the iPhone. Like I really, you know, there were a couple of shots that with the Fuji where I was like, I'm a hundred percent sure that was the real quote unquote real camera. And it was, so I'm not saying that they're indistinguishable, but there were some where I was like, what the hell camera did I use for this? And I was totally blown away that it was the iPhone. Like you really can take camera, camera quality photos with it. And in the dark, it's better. It is actually a better camera in low lighting in like a dark restaurant or something like that than, than a five thousand dollar SLR, it it really is. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's 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 fun. Like it's it, it's a feature that is like enjoyable and fun to use. And yeah. um, you know, at this stage of sort of the smartphone evolution, you know, that's the it, it's it's nice. I mean, the the ten S was um, the the biggest thing for me with the ten S relative to the ten, and I know this because I was using the ten while my ten S was broken. Is the face IDs was just so massively better. I mean, face yeah. ID on the ten, go back. Like, I mean, again, we're the most we are the people that Brian Shannon at New York Times hates because we buy a new phone, new phone every year. Right, but um, but going back to the ten, the face ID was miserable. It was it was painful to use um so that but like the rest of it was like eh, yeah there's really not much difference here from using it yeah. um but the the 11 like i don't know the the 10 the 10 both the 10 and tennis camera i was actually not a big fan of either of them um i just felt they looked very phone camera ish in a lot of situations particularly with any harsh light in them and and the 11 is just like like it's like taking photos for fun yeah. in a way that i haven't done in a long time um, I, my son still has an iPhone 10 and we were out to eat last week and I just shot a little bit of video using his two year old iPhone 10 and my new phone. And the video difference is it's under heralded how good the video is on these phones. And like I was talking with Joanna Stern on the last episode of this show about uh, my family looking back at, uh, some like 14, 15 year old video of, of my son when he was a baby, which I had to sh- shot on a mini DV camera, which was, I thought was tiny at the time. I loved it. Yeah. It, it well, was well, a, my daughter. I think I had the, the flip, the flip camera. Yeah. We talked that? about that. Yeah. We, Joanna yeah. and I talked about that too. We have a lot of footage of Jonas from about three or four years later in the flip era. It's just, it's not heartbreaking quite because it's great that we have the video and, you know, when I was a kid, me and Amy, and probably it's probably true for you too. I mean, is there any video of you from when you were a kid? Oh, no, not at all. I mean, yeah, my parents never. I don't know if they even owned a video camera. Ever. No, I mean, video cameras weren't even a thing until the '80s, and my parents never bought one. And in the '70s, when I was a baby, it uh, you had to you'd shoot Super 8 film. And I so there is some footage of me. I have it in a closet. I actually should pay the price and send it somewhere to get it digitized. There is. 
I do have some reels of Super 8 film that my uncle, my mom's brother, shot of me and my sister. There's there's like a combined and there, like Super Super 8 was fun. And when I was in college, I made short films shooting Super 8, and it was kind of fun because it looked so much better than video in a weird way because it was Super 8 is film, and so you you know, but it was really hard to shoot and it didn't have sound. <laughs> And because it was so expensive, shooting film, even Super 8, 8 mil, you know, it's called Super 8 because it's 8 millimeter, this tiny little frame of film. It was very expensive to get developed compared to, to compared to photos. Uh, mm-hmm. And so most consumer Super 8 cameras would shoot 18 frames per second instead of 24 just so you could it's save. Like stop motion. Yeah, yeah, so you could save money. So you kind of get like that Charlie Chaplin silent film effect, even though you might have been shooting color. But anyway, there was no video. So it's great that we have hours of video of Jonas when he was a baby. But the footage, the, the, the quality is just horrendous. <laughs> it's yep. just absolutely appalling. But it's just unbelievable to me that just two years, iPhone 10, which was a $1,000 cell phone two years ago, the video quality in low light with shooting video compared to the, the iPhone 11 is just astounding. You just, it's just hard to believe it's two years. Like looking back at it, my point is looking back at 15 year old mini DV footage. Well, 15 years, of course, of course the difference is striking and it's stunning. It's cool that you can get this, not just, not just with a dedicated video camera now, but with your phone, your phone shoots it, but 15 years is 15 years, but two years it's, it's insane. It's absolutely insane how how much better the video is on the iPhone 11. Uh, I guess the other thing I, I should touch on in the director's commentary, what have I written about this week at Daring Fireball aspect of the podcast, is the uh, something did not sit has not sit right, sat right with me all month long regarding uh, night mode and which cameras on the pro it applies to and i was left talking with apple off the record with you know when you get these review units you you know you talk to apple throughout the week that you're reviewing them and you get phone calls and you can't quote them they're off the record but they answer all your questions and they're usually very forthcoming and very very accurate and while from a marketing standpoint i totally get that they want to keep it very simple uh and they don't get into technical details, but like with people like me and Matthew Panzerino and Nilay Patel, who like to write about the camera stuff and explain how it works as best we can, they're r- remarkably forthcoming. But with the night mode stuff, when I'd ask questions about like, okay, so it doesn't work with the super wide angle, the ultra wide 0.5 X lens. And they're like, no, the night mode doesn't work. It's, you know, the sensor isn't, you know, doesn't have any focus pixels, so can't do it. Uh, when I t- and you know, obviously works with the standard one X lens. Uh, and I asked questions. I was under the impression that on the iPhone Pro, that when you go into two X, you get you, st- you can get night mode because there's a two X button and it looks like it. And uh, and I asked questions about it and about like, well. Why, why, why does it work with these lenses? And the answers were weird. I don't, I know, I don't think I was lied to at all. And I've, you know, Neilai and I've chatting about this, uh, you know, behind the scenes, but the answers just were uh, the best word I can come up with is obfuscatory. They just weren't, it was just weird word. It's just, it just was, I was like, all right. And then it turns out that it doesn't use the two X lens in night mode when night mode kicks in and you're at the 2x zoom level, 
it uses the 1x camera to take a night mode shot and then crops to a 2x zoom and just does a digital zoom to go up. And that's how that happened in low light with iPhone dual camera systems all the way back to, I forget the, what was the first one that some of the plus, like the iPhone 6s plus, when did they first add the second camera? I forget even. Uh, I think it was the iPhone seven. Yeah. Maybe iPhone seven. Yeah. That makes sense. So like the iPhone seven plus had two cameras and the iPhone regular smaller iPhone seven only had one and the seven, the, the dual camera was what they call telephoto. It's two X zoom. And in low light, even then, oh yeah, that's right. Because that's the, I think that's one of the first time I got the larger, right? Because you wanted the best, exist. right? You that's wanted right. the best, yeah. Even if you didn't like the size, a lot of people I didn't do that, but I'll, you know, it was a tough decision. But anyway, even back then, all throughout that, in low light, the iPhone would make a, a decision that, it, and it's you know, again, there's nothing scandalous about it. They were doing this because the, they it was to get the best image. That in low light, because the sensor for the telephoto lens. Is, is less sensitive, you know, it's not as good as the 1X sensor, it's, and especially in low light, they would, they concluded that in certain lighting situations, it would be better to just use the 1X camera and digital zoom as opposed to the true optical 2X camera. It turns out it still works like that in night mode. Um, and again, there's nothing scandalous about it. They're doing what gets the better image and everybody loves night mode, including when you're zoomed in, like people are taking two X shots with night mode and loving the images they're getting. So it's not scandalous that they're using the one X camera to get them. They're doing what gets the best shot. Um, but there was all sorts of confusion about night mode. Did it require a hundred percent focus pixels? And like the Panzerino was told something like that. And then it, we concluded, okay, so the 1X and 2X cameras have 100% focus pixels, but that's not true. And it, there's like a, you know, Phil Schiller had a slide when he was at the, on stage that the, uh, the 1X camera sensor does have 100% focus pixels on the sensor, but the 2X camera just has, quote, focus pixels. So has some focus pixels. The 0.5X ultra wide has no focus pixels. Uh, so in a sense, putting it all together, what Apple told us behind the scenes was kind of true, that apparently night mode does require 100, 100% focus pixels because it only works. That just works. means they're only using one camera. Right. Um, but then the thing that still confused me was, well, why, 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 why didn't they make this clear to us? And then I figured it out. Like a day after writing, it was like I was chatting with Neelai, and I literally had like a light bulb moment like the closest you could get to an actual light bulb popping over my head and turning on was oh i get it it's uncomfortable for them to talk about because it means the regular iphone 11 takes the exact same 2x zoom level night mode shots as the 400 dollars more iphone 11 pro that's the the rub and that's what makes it the whole thing a little uncomfortable for them to talk about. And there's no 2x button on the iPhone 11. You have to to get to 2x zoom. You have to you know pinch or use the little scroll wheel that they that they added in the camera app. But when you when you get to 2x zoom and night mode kicks in, the iPhone 11 takes the exact same night mode shots that the iPhone 11 Pro does because neither one is using the telephoto lens because the iPhone 11 doesn't have a telephoto lens and the iPhone 11 Pro doesn't use the telephoto lens for night mode. 
So anyway, that was like my big light bulb moment of the week. Yeah, well, that's interesting. I, I I have to say, I mean, I it's only been a few weeks, but I definitely enjoy and use the wide angle lens more than I feel like I ever use the telephoto lens. Yeah, uh, it, it it really opens up an entirely sort of new sort of photo. Whereas the telephoto lens, like it's like it's not telephoto enough to mm-hmm. be really particularly useful. It's this weird yeah. sort of middle ground. Yeah, and like I was talking to a friend who's. Um, Whose, whose kids are really talented young baseball players. Uh, I mean, and so their family is always, you know, going to Little League baseball games. They have two sons and baseball games all the time. Um, and he was asking, you know, if they should get the 11 Pro or the 11. His wife needs a new phone. And I said, well, you guys, you know, like for shooting baseball games, the telephoto is better, but it's still not like, you're not like going to get a close up of your kid in a batter's box from the bleachers. You know what I mean? Like right, right. it's not as you still might, you, if you really want to get good pictures of something like a sporting event or like your kid on stage in a school performance or something like that, you still want a real camera that has a real zoom lens. That's, that's longer focal length than, than the tele quote unquote telephoto on the iPhone 11. I think you're right. And I think that, I think they made the right decision with like the, the iPhone 11 were, okay, we're going to go to three lenses on the more expensive Pro. But the 11, which is going to be significantly lower price, is going to have two lenses. Should it get a telephoto or should it get a wide angle or ultra wide? I think the ultra wide is, is, is more useful. Yeah, we haven't talked since the presentation. But to me, this was my big takeaway from the whole thing is that Apple cut prices like they cut and they cut prices pretty significantly. And it was it's a bit hidden because the high end is the exact same. Right. And uh, but the you know, the bit about the iPhone 11 being cheap, cheaper than the the 10R was last year. Yeah. And then also the 10R being reduced in price by much more than phones have been reduced in price sort of previously. Yeah. Uh, To me, I think it's a pretty big deal. And I think what I sort of discussed at the time was, you know, that's what a company that actually is focused on services should be doing because you actually do want to have you know the way those those sort of businesses work is you're putting in a lot of uh expense up front but then you're trying to spread it out over the maximum number of 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 folks you know on the back end and that's why you know Google is fine to have $50 Android phones so that that's that many more people that can sort of they get leverage on their services for and um and, and this is Apple at least sort of hinting at actually changing their their pricing strategy in a way that favors this sort of services approach where services isn't just something we sort of backed into because we have this app store and we can you know have this narrative but our strategy hasn't changed here is a hint that the strategy has actually shifted shifted a bit and the 11 to your point i mean it's a it's an incredible phone i mean even particularly with by having that wide angle lens you know it's even more competitive than the 10R was, and the 10R right. was already ex- extremely competitive. And I really, I, uh, Joanna and I talked about this. I really think, and I got a little pushback on it from some people, but I really think that for the most part, people should get the the one level up from base storage. The, so both phones start at 64 gigabyte yep, storage. Completely agree. Yeah, um, that's not enough. And some people it is, and that's the, I get it. And there are, you know, for those of you who sent me email and tweets saying, Hey, I've, you know, my, I'm only using 38 gigabytes on my phone. So 64 is plenty for me. And I use the cloud storage for everything. Um, 
So I get it. But that's an informed decision. And the people who listen to this show who know that they really can fit their life comfortably in a 64 gigabyte base model storage, that's, you know, you know what you're doing. I think for typical people, though, especially if you want to shoot lots of, you know, 4K video and stuff like that, um, it you should go up a level. But that's where the pricing difference is really stark. And, and I'll just emphasize it again, because the 11 goes to 128. And it's only 50 bucks more. So for 50 bucks, you can double your storage from 64 to 128. And it's, it's, it's nothing like the old days where we complained so vociferously about the 16 gigabyte base model storage. It was unbelievable. Right. And And it it kept going on year after year after year. Right. And you have to remember that it, that, that 16 gigabyte needed to include the system software. So uh, however many gigabytes iOS and the apps that you'd include and Apple likes to give you, you know, every time you upgrade, they stick you with GarageBand again. Uh, which is a great app. It's a fantastic app, and but I, I have no musical inclination at all. And GarageBand is like a three hundred eighty megabyte app, and I guess that they load some of that stuff on demand, so it's not really taking up the space. But anyway, the sixteen gigabyte phones included the OS. The sixty four gigabytes do too, and it's not you know you get most of that sixty four I guess to use. But when you go from sixty four to one twenty eight, the entire extra sixty four you get to use. That's not used by the phone. But the iPhone 11 Pros, just like the previous uh, high-end, the 10 and the 10s at that $1,000-plus price tier, you have to go all the way to 256 from the base model, and it costs $150 to go from the base model to that. So to me, it, it, there's a $300 difference at the 64-gigabyte base model tier. But there's a $400 difference between the 11 and the 11 Pro if you just go... From the usable tier. Yeah. And again, it's not apples to apples because the 11 is 128 and the Pro is 256. But that 128 is so so much good enough for most typical people. So to me, it's a $400 difference. And I think that's significant. I do question... I question how much of it... Uh, that this the Lowering the prices. And I think you're exactly right. That the 11 is $50 less than the comparable 10R models were last year. And the 10R, and I think this is really, I think it's a huge deal and really does justify calling the overall lineup as being lower priced, is that the 10R really dropped in price. I forget what it's cost. But $150. It's yeah. $599. Uh, and it used to only drop a hundred, uh, and yeah, and, you know, not just that, but the iPhone eight dropped one hundred and fifty two. Right. So the iPhone eight went from five ninety nine to four forty nine. Right. Uh, so, so yeah, so yeah, not just the 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 yeah. So basically, everything other than the top end model went down by price by at fifty at least fifty dollars more than it did previously. I I I question. I just wonder. I don't question it, but I wonder how much of it is strategic. And how much of it is just that's how you know that they didn't really want the 10R to cost as much as it did last year, but that's what it cost if they were going to maintain their you know there margins. might be something to it, particularly for memory pricing. Because I remember when the iPhone 8 jumped up to 699, uh, that was at a time when DRAM pricing was through the roof, and so actually yeah. Apple's margin on that phone wasn't that much greater because a huge part of that increase was eaten up by 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 uh, memory pricing. So there is and right now DRM prices are very low. So there it, it you may be right. It may be that the memory 
it, this is driven more by the cost of their components, and that's one of the biggest costs in the phone, and it's one of the mo- one that changes the most. I mean, memory is notorious for it goes through these peaks and valleys, and it's been doing that for fifty years. Going to be doing it for the next fifty years, uh, so that that might be part of it. But at the same time. You know, once they raised the price, yeah. they could have you Kept know that there. that right. exactly and just taken the extra margin, right. and they didn't. They they they, right. they 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 brought it back down, and, right. and to me, that's a good sign. I, it's it's a you know, Apple. There's always been the vague sort of concern that uh, you know does Apple care a little too much about their margins and not enough about sort of the the ecosystem viability and it turned out with the iPhone that the the market was so large that there was enough room for two there you know both iOS and Android and particularly with iOS you know customers willingness to buy and whatnot uh, but but when it comes to services and stuff that you invest in and you need to sort of spread out those costs on the maximum number of people this isn't really an ecosystem question iOS is a viable ecosystem without question but at this point from Apple's perspective every Every single extra iPhone that's out in the market just makes the rest of their company's business that much, you know, the profit, you make it up in volume, (laughs) like in a very real sense. Uh, yeah, and I, I do think that the that the in a DRAM is certainly part of it. I think that the Face ID versus Touch ID is a little bit more expensive, and I, I know that the 10R and now the 11 don't have the super fancy and clearly expensive OLED display oh, yeah. that's but, crazy expensive but yeah. i do think I, I it has to be more expensive to make the 10 the the 11s lcd with the round corners that that goes close you know again the bezels are slightly larger than on the pro models but you know compared to the old forehead and chin iphones it's more expensive so the display even though it's only quote unquote only an lcd i think it's a wonderful display it's still it's got to be a little bit more expensive. I think Face ID is clearly a little bit more expensive than Touch ID. So I think it was a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B where the 10R had to be a little more expensive, but I think you're right that that once they bit the bullet and raised those prices, they could have kept them there and they clearly chose not to and I think it's um I think it's great for consumers. I really do. It's it's just a as it as it as these elevens settle in. I just think that the the value proposition of the regular iPhone eleven is just phenomenal. It, it's you get the great one X camera that's exactly the same. You get the ultra wide, which is probably more useful for more people than telephoto. Same exact a a thirteen chip. You get a. It's not the same display, but it's a f- great display. You get the great battery life. It's just a great phone, and now it's a little bit less price. Uh, yeah, and, and I think it's great for Apple too. Yeah, so the rumor it's rampant now, and and Ming Chi Kuo had an article or a, a report that was circulating this week. I, I was going to say confirming it, but as close as we can get to confirming that Apple's you know full steam ahead on this rumored SE two um, for early in twenty twenty twenty. Um, which will look like supposedly an iPhone 8, but will have the A13 chip from this year's phones, which is exactly what Apple did with the SE years ago when it came out. They used previous generation's hardware design, which was the iPhone 5, 5S design. But when the iPhone SE came out, it had whatever the A series chip was from the, it was, I guess it was the iPhone 6. Uh, uh, and, and for the record, the iPhone 5S was the pinnacle of iPhone design. 
Uh, I, you know, I, I spend a day with my iPhone. I don't have an, I never bought an SE, so I don't have an SE to use, but I still have my iPhone 5S. And I, uh, I do it every year. It's like I put my SIM card in it and spend a day with it. And it's like, man, this is what a, what an easily pocketable, lightweight design. <laughs> oh, it, it, it's just gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. It also feels so sturdy. It feels like, I don't know why anybody ever put a case on it. It just feels like you could literally throw it against a wall and it wouldn't crack. <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, I, I don't think I used a case then. I think I switched to cases once they got too big to sort of keep in your hand. Uh, but because the, the iPhone, the 4 was incredible, but that glass back was, like, once they went mm. to the all-metal yeah, enclosure it, like that. That was like that, that. That's where it really hit its stride. Well, and it so spending a day with my iPhone 5s, in addition to the size, which I want to come back to, because um, I think that's the thing that that is most going to upset people about the rumored iPhone 8 size of this SE2. Um, but the other thing that really struck me: its size and weight, unbelievable. The fact that it's so light makes it feel so. It just feels like you could, if it fell off your desk, it would be no problem. The fact that it's aluminum instead of glass on the back. But that's what what struck me about that aluminum on the back is I I do have a Qi charger on my nightstand. It, it is not that much more convenient than just plugging in a cable or having a dock, especially if you have a table, you know, bedside dock where you can stick your phone overnight to charge overnight. Like I do have the wireless charger from my phone. I use it, but I I would probably happily trade to have an aluminum back on my iPhone 11 pro and give up Qi charging and whatever, you know, there's still rumors that maybe in a software update, Apple's going to enable the iPhone 11s to charge your Apple watch. If you put it on the back or something like that, that there might be a two way charging. That's all nice. It's neat, but I I would honestly trade it for an an aluminum back. Just, I like the way it feels and I like the durability. I mean, have you seen the prices? If you crack the back on your iPhone 11 pro, it's like a $399 or something. Yeah. Is it six or maybe it's 399. If you have Apple care plus and it's more, it's, it's like $600. It's like, you honestly might be better off just keeping it and buying, buying another one. It's ridiculously expensive. I don't even understand how that can be because it's not the display, but it's very expensive. I, I would, I, 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 as far as I know, the whole reason they go, they've gone to glass backs is for the chi charging. Uh, I disagree. I, I'm so sick of, I, the, the problem is, is that cable, for at least for me, lightning cables always go bad over time. Mm. And that time when you wake up and you grab your phone and it's not charged because the cable like is not just kind of starting to not work or got jiggled or whatever it might yeah. be. And what I like about the chi charging is you set it on there, it buzzes, and it's going to actually charge. And it's mm. not going to like you wake up and find a dead phone. So uh, the I, I have a chi charger on my desk too. I, I could plug it in there. That'd probably be fine. I plug it in have time i have a cord here also but honestly just for that peace of mind that i know the phone's gonna be charged for sure when i wake up uh i i am i am pro chi charging right. but uh there's also there's also an argument that i should get my shit together and have working cables so um <laughs> I, I could go and go in both directions it it just occurred to me just using the 5s for a day it just occurred to me that glass is a very odd substance to make a thousand dollar to fifteen hundred dollar device out of you know, it like is, it is like you, you go into the Leica store and, you know, and they're selling five thousand dollar cameras. And it's like 
I mean, I guess they have an LCD display on the back now, so that could crack. But they're not going to make the majority of the frame out of glass. <laughs> like it's just right. it, when you think about it, it's just an odd. It's just odd that we have these very expensive cameras that are made out of glass front and back. I mean, the front being glass is obvious because it's all display. It kind of has to be. It's just kind of odd that the back is glass when you think about it. Uh, size. So I know that here, the, I, I guess I should write about it, but in a way, I know that there are people who love that 5S size. And, you know, you called it the pinnacle of iPhone design. People love it. And what people really want Apple to do, people who love that size, is keep the size and just get rid of the chin and forehead and put an iPhone XR style LCD display in with rounded corners that takes up the whole front surface. So you'd get more screen area, but you would still have that same basic entirely pocketable design. And by all of the accounts, that is not what Apple's doing. They're going with an iPhone 8 form factor with Touch ID and the chin and forehead. Um, which is disappointing if you love that small size, but it should be, to me, unsurprising because in a way, what they're doing, like I said a couple minutes ago, it's they're doing exactly what they did with the SE. And the SE, I don't think, was defined by the size from Apple's perspective. It was for people who were fans of the size. But from Apple's perspective, it was let's just take our previous generation form factor and update the internals to the latest and greatest and sell it at a yeah. low price. Apple's not going to invest in in a completely new industrial design for what's going to be a very inexpensive phone. Like that's just it's just not going to happen. Right. So yeah, no, the, 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 they're going to use what they have, and um, and again, I yeah, I can see the allure. I have no desire to use a five S. I'm glad that they're getting rid of it, probably for our developer friends. They don't have to worry. You right. Know, hopefully, stop worrying about that size sooner rather than later. Right. But yeah, the, the, it's it's fundamentally an economic issue. Like Apple's. Like the reason they're doing that is because switching out the processor is relatively painless. I would, you know, a lot of the other components are going to stay the same. The the making the case can stay the same. Those assembly lines are still alive because they're still making the iPhone eight, um, and 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 they're just going to change out the processor and and which you know makes it a much more future proof phone, even though the industrial design is old and and it makes it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I would guess since they're replaying the strategy from the SE, I would guess that if you look back, I forget exactly when they announced the SE. I think it was like either a, a very late in March or very early April, if, if I recall correctly. Uh, I would guess that they'll announce this new iPhone SE, whatever they're going to call it, around the same time next year because it just feels like they they're just replaying that strategy exactly. And I don't it, like you just said, I don't production wise, I can't see how this would be a problem. I don't think there's going to be any kind of delay. I think it'll come out well. And and there never wasn't there never was an iPhone 8s. So right. the name is available. Yeah, maybe that's what they'll call it. That would actually that's actually a very good guess. I'm going to steal that. The iPhone 8s. Yeah, Go I like ahead. that. I'm writing that down. iPhone 8s. Uh, all right, let me take another break here. Thank our next sponsor. Uh Boy, this is a new one. I love it. I love that these guys are sponsoring the show because it's a new sponsor, but they're old friends. They're called Yes, Please. And it's spelled Y-E-S-P-L-Z. 
I'm guessing that's how you pronounce it. I don't know. I don't have it. They should give, everybody should know to give me pronunciation notes. So I'm going to call it Yes, Please, but it's spelled Y-E-S-P-L-Z. Look, there's all sorts of productivity hacks that work great for some people, but not for others. But the best productivity tool that performs miracles for almost everyone is coffee. Oh, I just finished my coffee about two minutes ago, and I already wish I had more. Uh, Yes, Please is a coffee subscription service that wants to bring you the very best fresh roasted beans into your kitchen. Do you need a coffee subscription? How often do you run out of coffee at home? If it ever happens to you, you should treat it as an emergency and get a coffee subscription service. True coffee fiends are pretty good about never running out, but true fiends also know that scoring the very best stuff can be hit or miss. The crew at Yes, Please, online at Yes, Please, Y-E-S-P-L-Z dot coffee. Very cool top-level domain there, yesplease.coffee. Sources and roasts some of the finest stuff from all over the world. They change it up every week and deliver it to your door. Whole bean coffee, delivered weekly, fortnightly, monthly, or just whenever you need it. Pause or cancel anytime, no hassle. Each new release comes with a fresh issue of their eclectic weekly print zine featuring culture, music, uh, food, and art. It's a nice analog moment for your mornings and are increasingly digitally distracted world now here's the best part it's founded by tony tonks konesi konesni just call him tonks uh and sumi ali they're veterans of coffee's weird third wave scene longtime listeners of the show might remember coffee subscription pioneers tonks coffee from back in the day they used to sponsor the show all the time tonks great coffee well guess what that's who's behind yes please Dot coffee. These guys believe great coffee shouldn't require much fuss. Making a perfect cup of coffee is as easy as making a box of Kraft macaroni and cheese. I believe that. Best way to make coffee are very simple. But you have to start with best beans and have to start with fresh beans. The rest is just water. Invite Yes Please into your kitchen and brew it yourself. Head to yesplease.coffee and use offer code TALKSHOW25. TALKSHOW25, all one word. And you get 25% off your first box. Upgrade your morning coffee game and you'll upgrade your whole day. Love that these guys are sponsoring the show. Uh, what else we got here, Ben? Uh, Just waiting on charcoal. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about the Boeing 737 MAX saga briefly. It, it, it's fascinating. I, we, I know we've been sharing uh, messages about this. I, I'm generally like, like I think a lot, maybe a lot of tech geeks. I'm uh, an AV geek. Like I love following the airline industry generally. Uh, my favorite blog, there's a thing called the Cranky Flyer. Uh, great blog. Another guy, John Ostroar, uh, runs a subscription site called The Air Current. Yeah. Um, so I love reading about this stuff in general and have for a long time. But this whole 737 thing has been has been. I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible on multiple dimensions. Um, it's starting I mean, just, to. It's starting to. You know, when it first happened, the first crash was the one in, I think, Indonesia. Uh, I forget which one it was first, but there were two deadly crashes, tragedies. First one, it, it's sort of like a fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice shame on me you know it's like the first one it's like i don't know who knows what happened maybe it was a fluke the second one everybody was like hey what something is wrong with this plane right like yep. that just doesn't happen and it, they were both weird crashes that it's just very weird the details start coming out and this whole story about them uh it just it it just read like bad leadership of that uh, 
basically, when a new plane comes out with new controls and a new flight, what do they call it? A flight uh, envelope. Envelope. Pilots, you know, <laughs> this is, seems like a good a good rule. Pilots have to be retrained on this <laughs> because the plane, if a new plane flies differently than what the pilot is used to, the pilot needs the, all the pilots need to train on it. And the major airlines have a lot of pilots, and so in the aggregate, a new plane would require an aggregate large number of pilot training hours, which. All, you know, you, so you can see why the airlines wouldn't would would like to buy planes that pilots don't need to retrain on, because that would save them money. Of you know, they'd rather have, be paying their pilots to fly flights than to train. But you can also see why there is a law that if the plane flies differently, the pilots need to retrain. Right? Both things make perfect sense. <laughs> and what happened with the seven thirty seven Max is it flew differently, and Boeing knew that would be a bad a hard sell to the airlines. And so they used software to try to make it fly like previous 737s. And uh, that's, it's exact. It turns out that's exactly as bad an idea as it sounds. Yeah. And it was particularly bad because, you know, the, the traditional distinction between sort of Boeing and Airbus is that Airbus has really leaned into the, look, the computer is actually flying this and there's kind of a human there. Whereas Boeing's been more of a look, and no matter what, the human is in control. We, we like it's a it's a, it's the pilot's plane, and the and so it's in a weird sort of way. It's almost like this would have been better off on an Airbus Airbus plane, where you kind of expect the plane to be in control. Hmm. But the fact that a, a Boeing plane, you expect the pilot to be in ultimate control, and it turned out they weren't. Like almost made it even worse because yeah. it was against sort of the ethos and understanding of what these planes sort of mean. Yeah. And it really uh, shines a spotlight on the rot at the center of Boeing's company culture. And, you, you, you know, this is all old hat to you. Uh, I'm a way less of a aviation nerd than, than you or Dan Fromer, but I, I'm kind of into it. And it's interesting. And Boeing has always been a fascinating company. But basically, long story short, Boeing was always known as an engineering-driven company. And, uh, you know, and the record speaks for themselves. Like, the the 737 came out in, like, the end of the 60s and was, like, their best-selling plane until, like, recently. It it had, like, three decades at the top. Oh, it still is. I mean, it still is, yeah. It's just a phenomenal design. You know, like, you don't... That doesn't happen without truly great engineering and design, and secondarily, Boeing traditionally always had a, a firewall between their commercial aviation division and their military division. And the military stuff, for obvious reasons, is much more bureaucratic and not as engineering driven because all sorts of, you know, uh, you end up with you know everybody knows the pork barrel stuff where somebody some senator from montana has a, a wants to have uh something in the state you know let's make the screws for the wings in in montana whether that's the best decision or not it's it's a political decision not an engineering decision uh and then in the 90s boeing acquired McDonnell Douglas, which was primarily ostensibly a competitor at the time, but was much more focused on the military stuff. 
And however, however it came about, the McDonnell Douglas leadership wound up in charge of Boeing. It's sort of like, you know, one of those quote unquote reverse acquisitions, like when Apple acquired Next and Steve Jobs and the Next crew wound up running the company. That's but but definitely a bizarro version of that. A bizarro version because with the Apple and Next, it was terrific leadership that was focused on exactly the right thing, which is great products. And the McDonnell Douglas thing was the opposite. Instead of focusing on making great airplanes, it was like squeezing money out of you know pinching corners and making decisions like the seven thirty seven Max. Which well, I mean, the thing is, before the seven thirty seven Max was the seven eighty seven, right. which was the, an absolute disaster. And 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 there they tried to outsource everything and mm. were trying to like out, out put the costs on everyone else. And they were getting pieces that were coming together that didn't even fit together. And there was like they forgot to design to specify like how how the wires would connect with each other. Just an absolute disaster that ended up spending way more than they would have otherwise right. and and delayed hugely, which also led to the 737 Max, where instead of building a completely new plane like they probably should have, they said, well, let's let's re-engine sort of the, right. the, the venerable 737 one time. So it's it's not just this, it's a yeah. cascading series of decisions over years and it's amazing that the <laughs> these same folks are are I, I, I yeah I mean it's 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 a this is a mess Boeing that is in right now that has been building for like 20 years 25 years yeah. and there's lots of other stuff in there like labor unrest they bu- they built a new factory down uh in a non-union state and there's been apparently a ton of problems with those with I and mean, this isn't a union commentary so they've always built their airplanes in Washington right. and they moved away from that not for engineering reasons to your point but for other reasons, and right. that's led to a lot of problems. And they moved their headquarters to Chicago, which is stupid. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, it, it's literally been like 25 years of ineptness, but all those decades of engineering leadership have carried them through because the 737 was been selling, the 777 was an absolutely brilliant plane. I, and I think it's like the most profitable plane ever uh, that that has carried them through. And but everything everything since then has just been a, a total mess. Yeah. Uh, and it's just sort of heartbreaking because a great company, a company that has d- a decades long record of being a great company, is like a great thing to appreciate, you know. And it's it's yep. just sort of a sad thing to see uh, to see it. And it wasn't like. You know, sometimes a great company fades away because what they do fades away. You know, uh, like maybe Kodak is a good example. And you can, you know, certainly you can make the argument that Kodak should have seen the digital thing coming and they had some they great. Invent, they invented the digital camera. Right. That's the crazy thing about it. Right. And, and, and instead of, uh, uh, obsoleting themselves, obsoleting their own film business with their the up and coming digital business they you know tried to stick their heads in the sand and say film isn't going away um it, it, so that i guess kodak is sort of a not the best example cuz that's sort no, of a I tragedy think a, no, I, too no i i do think it's a good example though because like your to your point a lot of companies go away because their industry and their place in the industry goes away through right. technological change. And and with Boeing, actually airplanes and commercial airplane sales are a bigger and more important industry right. than ever. Right. It's completely self-inflicted. Right. That's yeah, that's my point. Yes, it is completely self-inflicted and it, it that just is hard to watch. That is just sad. 
And then what sucks about it, the 787 is a perfect example. Boeing, like, if they would have just developed the 787 the same way they developed every plane previously and built it the same way previously and did most of the work themselves in Washington like they did previously, they would be in phenomenally better financial shape than they were, than they ended up being. And and so, it, like, it's not only – it's like one thing if you cheap out – but at least you saved money, even though it might not have been as good as it would have been otherwise. They cheaped out and ended up spending way more in the long run. Uh, it's it's like it's really uh, it's it's a it's a it's it's really a phenomenal just run of mismanagement over literally a couple of, a couple of decades. Yeah, and that's just self inflicted is just exactly that just gets to the core of why what I wanted to talk about, and it's just a bit sad. Uh, Hopefully they can turn it around. I don't know. It feels to me like this Max situation is going to be a legal nightmare for them. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, because the news that came out this week was that there was a whistleblower within the company in the engineering division whose report, uh, more or less, uh, before any of these planes crashed, more or less said, that this is not, this is all a disaster. And management has ignored our uh, warnings about this that, you know, they, they, pretty much ignored warnings from within the engineering division that the problems that we now know are real were going to be real, which is probably not good <laughs> in terms of their liability uh, for these things. Speaking of self-inflicted, you've been writing a bit about the Apple in Apple in China and, yeah. and Hong Kong and whatnot stuff. And I, I think there's, there's a, there's, this is, it's this. There's a meta point to be made here. I've been writing about Apple in China, basically uh, for ever since the Trump election, I think, um, uh, and maybe before, certainly before that. I'm trying to remember when exactly I was honing on this point, but it's it's very very interesting. And what's interesting is Apple was by far the most successful sort of consumer tech company in particular in China. And the reason is because they had the right perfect business model. They they weren't a service which could be blocked by the Great Firewall. They weren't pure software which could be pirated, like Microsoft's right. software was always pirated. Right. Because they they sold software differentiated hardware, they could go into China and make the exact same margins in China that they were making everywhere else and, you know, be tremendously profitable doing so. Um it turns out, though, that the, like what goes around comes around, and after you know several years of China being a huge you know profit center, now it's a huge problem, and and obviously Apple's sort of exposed on both sides, where they have the manufacturing there, and they have the huge market there to sell, and they're they are more than any other tech company by you know um, at least U.S. tech company you know, stuck in this trade war and not just a trade war, but, you know, to the extent there is a sort of ideological war, it's a, it's a very tough place to be. Uh, yeah, because the other tech giants don't have physical goods. I mean, Apple, you know, Facebook, I mean, I get, they, they, they make stuff. Facebook has these gadgets and, and Amazon makes the gadgets and Google's makes gadgets. And as we just talked about at the beginning of the show, Microsoft makes gadgets and they all do make their own gadgets. But for all of those other giants, the gadgets are a side business. And for Apple, it's the inverse that the, you know, the vast overwhelming majority of the company's revenues and profits come from selling iPhones in particular, but gadgets, you know, overall, the services are the, 
again, they're growing. They're they're right to focus on it. We don't have to talk about it, but it's you know, Apple services revenue is dwarfed compared to the hardware stuff. And the hardware stuff, the iPhone in particular, they're all made in China. And so they're completely square in the middle of the trade war with the Trump administration. I think it's always been, hmm, this seems a dangerous place to put all your eggs in one basket because it's, you know, it, it's a communist dictatorship. Uh, I mean, this is, this is, this, this yo, I want to dwell on that because it's the most interesting about this is, you know, the whole Apple doctrine and the Cook doctrine and all that sort of stuff talks about this idea of we need to control Right. Our most important technologies, and it turns out like maybe the most important a- Apple sort of skill set and and capability is its ability to manufacture massive numbers of devices that at at that are very highly engineered and are manufactured at extremely high level of quality, and it turns out that they don't have control of that. Like they they, they don't have control because it's not it, it's in an, another country that is follows a different value system than the one that that Apple that Apple does broadly speaking. Right. I mean there's certainly, you know, the whole thing about Apple privacy is a human right and like it it rings a bit shallow uh when 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 you know given their their position in China in some respects and also they're stuck in the middle of this trade war and right. and and we, weaving aside, it, which is extremely difficult to do, so bear with me here. But leaving aside the Trump sort of angle here, like this, this collision of the U.S. and China, I think in many respects is bigger and broader than Trump. And it was probably there was a degree that was inevitable was going to happen at some point. And I think what is a little concerning from the Apple perspective is it kind of feels like they didn't see it coming at all. And, and they've been, and they're now they're, they're stuck and they really have no good options. Right. And there was a bit of news last week where Apple officially announced that the new Mac pro, just like the previous trash can Mac pro will be manufactured in Austin, Texas. And that there's, some kind of exemption from the tariffs that will allow them to uh, uh, import some of the components from China without paying tariff, blah, blah, blah. But the Mac Pro is literally the most niche product, hardware product that Apple makes. It might as well be called the Mac niche. I mean, it's by definition. I mean, it starts <laughs> at five. And that, that, there's nothing wrong with that. It, you know, But it's a $5,000. And really, in the configurations, most people who want and need a Mac Pro are going to cost a lot more than $5,000. You know, it's it's the price of a, of a compact car. Uh, you, you mean 128 gigabytes of hard drive is not, is not sufficient? <laughs> well, probably not. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I work at uh, Pixar and uh, here I've rendered one frame. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one frame of the movie here on my Mac Pro. I can, uh, you know, yeah, probably not. But uh, they they are in no position. I mean, so, you know, that news, I'll mention it. But, I mean, they are in no position to move iPhone production out of China. I mean, it's it's really staggering. I, I would love to, you know, and it... it it, it it just must be an amazing thing to behold, you know, with how many, uh, you know, to, to be able to produce 70 million or however many tens of million iPhones in a quarter with a brand new design and stuff like that. It's just staggering when you do the math and just think about how many they're making a day, you know, that there's like a million of them literally. And and how many million shipped on, on Friday, September 24th or whatever the day was when, yep. when, when 
people who pre-ordered the minute that the pre-orders went available got their their iPhones. It's just staggering to think how many of these things come out. They're in no position to move that elsewhere or diversify. I mean, if, yeah, if it, and, and people are, people are going to email and say because they they have set up factories like Brazil and India primarily to get around really restrictive sort of import controls in right. those countries, but they're not remotely capable of scaling to right. you know servicing the rest of the world the way the, the way China is right and yeah. and. And you, in this is they're stuck. Like Apple's really fundamentally stuck. They are not really capable of going elsewhere. And at the same time, like it's it's as you've been writing about, it's kind of getting to be an increasingly untenable position, particularly in the context of Apple's rhetoric of, right. around the sort of company they claim to be right. and the things they claim to believe in. Right, and uh, privacy is a human right. They 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 literally that's words that come out of. Uh, their mouths, you know. Tim Cook has has said privacy is a fundamental human right. Uh, China is a surveillance state. <laughs> I mean, it's I, I I don't mean to laugh. It's actually not funny at all. It's it's you know uh, tragic. Uh, it is difficult. I now I'm of the opinion that the fact that Apple is in the Chinese market and and sells you know iPhones and you and I have talked about this a lot about how they're they're. Uh, we don't have to rehash it now, but that their their success in the Chinese market has waxed and waned significantly, more significantly than they have in other markets because the Chinese market is unique and the people – you don't get locked into the Android or iOS uh, ecosystems in China the way you do in other countries because China has its own stuff. And you just use that stuff on an iPhone or you use it on an Android phone. And if you want to switch to a Huawei phone, you just switch and your stuff moves over. Um, and you've talked about how so that stuff like having a new rose gold color is very much more important in the Chinese market than elsewhere. Because being able to signify that you have the new top of the line iPhone is more important because that might be the, really more than iOS or any part of the ecosystem. That's why people are doing it. blah, blah, blah. I don't think it's a problem. I think it's very. It requires a nuanced discussion to talk about Apple selling iPhones in a market that with politically difficult uh, leadership like China, because in some ways it's good if you're in China and you are as a Chinese citizen concerned with your privacy. Isn't it better that if you if you're fortunate enough to be able to afford an iPhone, isn't it great that you have the option of buying a phone? That probably is more private than most of the other phones in the Chinese market, and that protects your stuff. And whatever sacrifices Apple had to make to host iCloud Chinese iCloud accounts on servers within mainland China, I would, you know, we don't know what's going on with that and what sort of access the Chinese state has to that. But if it's as private as Apple would suggest that it is, it's better than if Apple just said, you know what, we don't support China, we're pulling out, we're not going to sell our products in China. Like, I don't think that helps. Like, I get, there's people who want Apple to do that, who think that's, that, if, that if Apple's actions matched their rhetoric, they should take a stance and say, we won't sell our products in China because we support privacy and China's government is anti-privacy. I don't know, I, I get how that would that would please people who want Apple to make a stink about this, and it would certainly raise a ruckus and draw a lot of attention. But would that actually be good for the people in China who want iPhones and want the most privacy they can get? I would say no, it's not good. I, I, I think that requires nuance. But 
I do think though that as it, like you said, it's it's starting to come to a head and it's starting to become untenable. And and this thing, yeah, well, it, I, and I, think, I think the point that you're driving at is. Th- th- yeah, the sell of iPhones is one thing. The reason why Apple is in a no-win position is the manufacturer of iPhones. Mm-hmm. Like that's the part that right. like they're just like it's literally where else can they go? Right, and they are paying the price for decisions that were made many right. many years in the past. Right. And uh, and yeah, it, it, it's it, I mean I think they. My feeling is they need to start in making this sort of investments and pushing out into other countries and whether yeah. it's India or Brazil or they go to Vietnam or wherever it might be, like right. figuring out ways to start building out. But the problem is it's going to be – it's going to take years. But if it's going to take years, no better time to start than now. Right. And my concern is that there's just a hope that this is going to – blow over and you talk about the back pro and apple getting the exemption i mean it kind of feels like tim cook played donald trump like a violin i mean where <laughs> i do think so they, <laughs> I, mean, I don't think they're making production decisions about the mac pro in <laughs> you know october <laughs> of the year it's going <laughs> right. to ship right, right. Um, yeah they were going to make that in texas no matter what so that right <laughs> so i i worry though that it's going to embolden apple to be like look we can muddle through and it's all going to be okay. And I'm not sure in the long run it's going to be okay. Like, right. like, I, and so there's some really serious decisions that Tim Cook is going to have to make. And this is a, absolutely a CEO level, CEO level Tim Cook decision. He's the one that got him into China in the first right. place. And if they need to get out, he's the one that needs to get him out. And uh, it's it's going to be really tempting to say this is all going to blow over. It's going to be fine. And I'm I I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be fine. It's interesting that Samsung is now out of China. I mean, and and I guess it does the two sides of the coin go hand in hand in a way that I don't quite understand that that people are or at least people are drawing the connection where China or, or Samsung at one point had 15 percent just like six years ago had 15 percent of the Chinese phone market. And it, with the rise of the in China brands like Huawei and uh, what's the other one? Uh, Z or Oppo, what? Uh, ZTE, Oppo. Yeah. yeah, there's a couple, but there's a couple of up and coming companies making uh, truly Xiaomi, impressive. Yeah, Xiaomi is the one I was thinking of. Um, you know, well regarded, high end uh, hardware within, and and those companies have eaten Samsung's lunch. Samsung is under one percent, effectively zero in the Chinese market, and they've now just this week pulled out of China for all assembly and manufacturing. So. It's obvious, you know, the the interesting part of that to me is like, it's proof that a company, Samsung makes more phones than Apple uh, per year. So obviously it's possible to make 100 million phones without making a single one of them in China. but it, that's a again, great point. That's a great point. And it's mostly in South Korea, but yeah, it's a great point. Well, it's you know, see, so it's not like China alone can do it, you know. But it's not again, like you said, it's it's you know, to borrow a Chinese proverb, a journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. You, you, it's not like all of a sudden Apple can snap its fingers and make all of its phones outside China next year. This is, would take years. This is a long, long thing if they're going to do it. Anyway, yep. the the other news this week was a. Uh, you know, there's these protests, democracy protests in Hong Kong, uh, the politics of which it, it, we don't have to touch upon. But, it, you know, it's it's certainly 
interesting. It's been months long. It is certainly significant. And the Apple angle is that there is a an app, a service called uh, HK Map Live, um, and basically it is uh, a map that shows police activity and 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 other information uh, that apparently is very useful for people, even people not just for the protesters. It's uh, it's useful for people who are trying to avoid the protests, and there are you know it's all sorts of stuff. It's useful information. They have a an app that they it's available for Android. They submitted it to Apple, and Apple's App Store review process rejected it on the grounds that it was uh, I forget the exact words, but basically that that Apple accused it of trying to circumvent law enforcement, which really does not seem to be the case. I mean, and again, maybe somebody's politics are such that they they you know because the the Hong Kong protesters are on the side of democracy and then the other side is the Chinese communist dictatorship that Apple should allow it anyway. But it really just, it's just information. It's, it's effectively, you know, like, like traffic, you know, that, that this police activity is a real thing. The police don't even want people, you know, in some regards, I don't even think the police would object to this app. It, it's not, it, it just seems very, it seems like a very strange wrongheaded rejection and it raises the question, the obvious question, you know, a lot of people seem to jump to the conclusion that Apple rejected it, uh, it's, for lack of a better word, kowtowing to the Chinese government that it's, they just don't want to have anything that looks like Apple is siding with the protesters in Hong Kong. Uh, I think, you know, again, the Hanlon's razor argument that never attribute to malice that which can be attributed to stupidity often is the case with the App Store, unfortunately. So I, you know, and, and even the HK map developer seems to think that might be the case, you know, that, you know, give it, give Apple a couple of days to relook at this and maybe it'll go through. Um, but it just, Apple can't screw up stuff like this with China, right? It's, of course, it, it's a reasonable, it, it, it's perfectly reasonable for people to jump to the conclusion that Apple is doing this for politics, not for uh, some kind of bureaucratic snafu within the app store process that could have happened to any app. It's a fair point, but I do think – I mean, frankly, I don't know why there's any reason to give Apple the benefit of the doubt with anything China-related other right. than sort of our hope that they're going to do the right thing. Because right. the reality is is every time they've had to make a decision, whether it be pulling VPN apps out of the App Store or right. things on those lines, they've done what China wanted them to do. And, and, and to be – Totally clear. I've defended them on that. Like that's the reality of being a multinational corporation and being in different countries is you have to follow the law in those countries. So right. this isn't a condemnation of them. But I, you know, it the the reality is is I maybe this is the cynic in me, but I have a hard time seeing Apple pushing back on China in any sort of meaningful way if. If China doesn't want this app, I don't think this app is going to be in the App Store. Yeah. And yeah, maybe it is Hanlon's razor. Um, I'd like to propose Thompson's razor, which is that <laughs> this shit's super complicated, right? right. And like, oh, oh, you see this again and again, whether Apple or Facebook or Google or all these companies. Anytime you think that a decision a company makes is absolutely one hundred percent wrong or absolutely 100% right, you almost by definition have not fully thought through all the trade-offs and the the, the issues that are at hand because almost all these decisions are like 51, 49 decisions. And it's it, like it goes back and forth. And I don't envy Apple in this situation. I don't envy 
them being in the middle. Uh, but I, I do really hope that they're thinking about ways to not be in the middle sort of in you know five to ten years from now. Yeah. I guess that's my point is that I don't think Apple deserves the benefit of the doubt on this. I think, you know, and it's not like China is some obscure country. Right. You know, like if it were, if it were, you know, there was some weird law in Ecuador and there's an app and it's like, oh, that's a really strange law that seems contrary to the values of, you know, Apple. Um, You could see how maybe, you know, that wouldn't have that, 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 might be overlooked in the app store. Like China is not, you can't overlook China. <laughs> I mean, there's, it's the most populous country in the world. Everybody knows that it, it that, that it, Apple's in a weird situation there. It, it absolutely, it, there's no way to excuse if this was a mistake that, so either way it's, it's, it makes Apple look bad, right? If they're doing it to kowtow to the Chinese government, that's a bad look. And it seems contrary to Apple's rhetoric on privacy and, and, Apple's stance on various social issues. And if it happened through uh, ineptitude, well, that's that, that doesn't make Apple that look good either. How in the world can you be inept on a decision related to China and something as high profile as these Hong Kong uh, protests? Oh, let me tell you about the last 10 years of the App Store. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I have one more sponsor break. This is a bonus fourth sponsor because I only had two shows in September. And it's also a new sponsor. I'm very, very happy about this. It's, very, it's a new product. It is called Feels, F-E-A-L-S. What is it? It is premium CBD delivered directly to your doorstop. Feels naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. You just place a few drops of feels under your tongue and you feel the difference within minutes. Are you new to CBD? Feels offers a free CBD hotline and text message support, which is great because if you're like me and uh, you'd rather text somebody with questions rather than actually talk to them on the phone, uh, they've got that too. And they can help guide your personal experience. Feels works naturally to help you feel better. There's no high, no hangover, no addiction. This is uh, not like with THC. So it's legal too. You don't have to worry about that. Uh, Join the Feels community, get a membership, and you get Feels delivered to your door every month. You'll save money on every order, and you can pause or cancel anytime. Go to feels.com, F-E-A-L-S, F-E-A-L-S.com slash talk show. And you will get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash talk show. You become a member and you get 50% automatically taken off your first order. That is like the biggest discount I can recall on a podcast sponsorship in a long time. Feels.com slash talk show. Try it yourself. Uh, all right. Charcoal's on the list. Anything else? <laughs> we're, we're here for charcoal. <laughs> Let me double check that there's nothing else real on my on my agenda for this show. Uh, no, I think that's about it. I I want I want the I want the the minute by minute breakdown because as I understand it, you're the one that answered the door. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, well, so we uh, we have a, a roof deck, we have a charcoal grill. No, 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 no. I, I want I want the door opening. Then well, we can backtrack. Uh, just give, 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 give context here. <laughs> well, we've been out of charcoal for a couple of weeks, and uh, you know, you live in the city, and it's—I could buy it at the corner store, but I, you know, you buy the kind of char- amount of charcoal you can buy and walk home with is not a lot. Uh, so, I mentioned it to Amy, and I said, you know, we should we should Amazon some charcoal. That's you know, that's what we should do. And she said that she would take care of it, and then uh, she said charcoal's on the way. 
and uh, what was it? Tuesday, two days ago, three days ago. It was actually, and it was <laughs> part of it was. Uh, it's early October in Philadelphia, but it was over ninety degrees. It was we had a very hot streak. Doorbell rings, and there's a man. He's he's a very large man, and he's sweating profusely. Uh, he's carrying what looks to be a very heavy box. I would say it's you know, I don't know, it's almost like a chest size cardboard box. <laughs> Uh, and behind and you're him, like, wow, that's a lot of charcoal. <laughs> well, and behind him is is a uh, you know those those hand trucks they have at the airport. Like if you if you come to the airport with a lot of like you're going with your whole family on a long trip, and there's a, a curbside porter who will take your luggage with with him. You know, it's, it's right. like a push cart. It's got like four wheels on it, four wheels and a, a push cart, and, and it could take maybe a family of six's luggage to the to the check in counter. <laughs> He's got one of those behind it, also just stuck, stuffed with six boxes like this. And then he's got a colleague behind him in the street <laughs> with another push cart with six similar boxes. And he hands me the first box, and it is very heavy. Uh, I can tell you, I, I actually opened it up and checked. It, is, it weighs 36 pounds, <laughs> each box. Uh and I guess and wait, you, was, have, you have 12 boxes. Is that right? I, I, 12 boxes, each of them 36 pounds. So it's 432 pounds, 32 pounds. of charcoal. <laughs> I guessed right away that it was charcoal. I had no idea why it was so much. And I thought, well, maybe. And then I thought I, he realized I realized that the first six boxes were definitely mine. The fellow behind him, I actually asked, <laughs> I asked, I said, is that mine, too? <laughs> Because I, in my mind, I thought we can't possibly have this much charcoal, and I thought, well, somebody else must have bought a lot of charcoal. And as soon as the words came out of my mouth, I realized, well, what are the odds that somebody else in my neighborhood bought six large boxes bought two hundred and sixteen pounds of right. charcoal? I, as soon as the words came out of my mouth, I realized it was maybe the dumbest thing I have said in months. And he goes, "No, that's yours too, buddy." <laughs> Did he actually drop the buddy? Yeah, I think so. And, <laughs> and he says, we've got more on the truck for you. And I was like, more charcoal? He goes, nah, it's other stuff. Because <laughs> I, I thought, oh, my God, there's more. So somehow my wife wound up buying 432 pounds of charcoal <laughs> from Amazon. And she thinks what happened is that she uh, – it, it sounds like a good theory uh, – well, number one, I opened a box. It's it's Kingsford charcoal. It's not just any bag, though. It is their new 18-pound bags that they are advertising as their biggest ever. <laughs> so each bag, it's not just bags of charcoal. It is the biggest bags of charcoal that Kingsford has ever sold. Each box contains two of them. Um, she thinks what happened is that she started buying it on uh, one of her, like maybe her iPad. Maybe or Mac and or whatever she, but she didn't. She didn't finish the transaction. She bought one, meaning one two pack, which would be a combined thirty six pounds of charcoal. Which is very sensible. You live in the city; it's hard to get right. charcoal, and that's you a, get a bunch of would, charcoal at once. That would be a fine amount. Kingsford advertises that one of these bags, one of these eighteen pound bags, is enough for nine uh, grillings. Um, and that she went to a next device and thought, you know what? Why don't I buy two? Because then we'll be set for a while. And that on her iPad on the Amazon website, it's it's not a pop-up menu for quantity. It's a text field. And that she poked it and typed a two. 
and that turned instead of changing to two, it changed one to twelve. This uh, actually makes perfect sense. I believe that she has nailed the how in the fuck did this happen? Uh, <laughs> I, I forget if I forget which device is which, but that she started it on one, went to the other, and on the other. It's a text field, not a pop-up for quantity, and she changed 1 to 12 instead of 1 to 2 and <laughs> just banged her way through, one-clicked her way through the whole process and bought $240 or something worth of charcoal. <laughs> so now we have, <laughs> we have 400 So what are you, you going to do with all the charcoal? Uh, I don't I don't really don't know. <laughs> it's with... Uh, there needs to be like odds in Vegas on the chances of these this charcoal still being in your house like four years from now. Now the other funny thing, my wife owned up to it. Well, sort of. I mean, let, she tweeted by saying, "Let he who has not ordered four hundred and thirty-two ba- pounds of charcoal cast the first stone," or something like that. And I, my reply to her was, "He." <laughs> Because there was no he who ordered inadvertently ordered all of this, and she posted my, a picture. My, my, my response to her was to link to that New York Times article about how it actually may not be a problem to eat lots of red meat. And I <laughs> said, said that was good news, good timing. Well, if Kingsford is correct that each bag is good for nine grillings, and you would think that, you know, much like the way that the toothpaste industry would have you believe that you should put you know, like a big S-shaped, longer than your toothbrush amount of toothpaste, you know, on your toothbrush each time you brush your teeth. I would imagine the Kingsford people encourage you to use plenty of charcoal each time you grow. Yeah, that's like you burn through all the charcoal, like there's no reuse or anything. Right. So I, let's assume that they're accurate with their nine grillings per bag. With uh, 24 bags, it would be nine times 24 would be, what, 180 plus 36 would be... Uh, 216, 216 grillings? Am I, am I doing the math right? <laughs> That's a lot of grillings. Uh, so I think we're set. I, I, we're, I, I, think, I think that you started talking about the number of grillings and you expected that number to be much smaller. Yeah. And then you actually calculated it and you realized it's, a, like, it's literally like eight months worth of grillings. <laughs> if we grilled every single day. Which yes. we don't do, and it's going to be winter soon. Uh, Seven point two months, I, I believe, is the exact know, number. I, I guess if we were smart people, we'd send it back somehow. But this, it just seems embarrassing. <laughs> seems embarrassing as well to, to have. I don't even know how you send back four hundred and thirty pounds of charcoal, or you know, I guess we'd keep some of it, <laughs> just send back three hundred eighty pounds of it, or something. <laughs> Uh, anyway, my wife also she did own up to it. She she posted a picture with our son standing in front of all twelve boxes for you know for size. Uh, they are large boxes. Uh, they are large boxes. They are thirty six pounds each. And the odd thing was that the most common response that she got after tweeting it was the boxes all say Walmart, but she, that's just fulfillment. And and people were giving her a hard time for shopping at Walmart as though that's, you know, like morally, uh, you know, I, I, I don't understand the people who gave her a hard time about having purchased them from Walmart, which, A, I wouldn't have had a problem with. I don't think there's anything wrong with buying charcoal from Walmart. But, B, she didn't even do it. She bought it from Amazon and Walmart just happened to fulfill it, you know, the w- weird way that Amazon is just sort of a front end to retail stuff these days. But more than that – 
the issue of buying it from Walmart isn't the issue. It's 432 fucking pounds of charcoal in my <laughs> <Right>. office. <laughs> Why are you obsessing about the logo on the box? The fact right. is there are 12 boxes here. With each containing two 18-pound bags of charcoal. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a lot of charcoal. So anyway, do you need some charcoal? I think it's gonna, not going to be worth the price to uh, ship it to Taiwan. I... <laughs> I, I guess maybe we'll give it out at Christmas to people. <laughs> you get, get, go get a container ship. That would be hilarious. You got to start mailing out the what are they? Eighteen pounds? Yeah. <laughs> uh, just you, you should start soon because you want to use like UPS Ground or something or whatever the cheap U, U.S. Postal Service service is, and just pick a bunch of friends and just start mailing them bags of charcoal, and all of them are going to laugh their ass off. <laughs> it's absolutely what you should do. <laughs> You're going to spend way more than you spend the charcoal in the first place, but yeah. it, it, it'll be worth it. I don't know what it would cost to mail 36 pounds of the, charcoal. The hilarious thing is you're going to mail this charcoal out, and then it's going to get to, like, May. And you're going to be like, fuck, I have no more charcoal. <laughs> if I ever do run out of charcoal, I've got to be upset. I guess the good news is charcoal doesn't go bad. I guess keep it uh, keep it dry, and it should be fine. My wife was worried. Then my wife got spooked. She worried if, if, it, was a, uh, if it was a fire hazard. And I said, well, think about how hard it is to light charcoal, really. I mean, it's it's actually notoriously tricky, you know, to, that's why they, you know, and it is not, it's not match light, you know, charcoal, which is pre-doused with lighter fluid. It is just plain old-fashioned charcoal briquette. The original. The original. Yes. So I said, I don't think it's a fire hazard, given how tricky it usually is to get, to get it going. So I, I don't think we're in danger. It's just... <laughs> well, I, I look for, I look forward to visiting your house in 2027 and and uh, this, be, using this shipment of charcoal. <laughs> it really was, and that's the thing. And the other part too is it, she tweeted it, and she you know she's owned up to it. But I wasn't mad at all. I didn't say a cross word. I, I you know it's, to me it was an honest mistake. But it, it gets to the nature of of our different personalities. Where I said to her, I want you to imagine. <laughs> If I had accidentally ordered 432 pounds of charcoal at a cost of over $200 and that you were home alone and had to answer the door and look this sweaty delivery guy (laughs) on a 90 degree day right in the eye and just take ownership of 12 of these 36 pound boxes of charcoal. I want you to imagine what... How you would have reacted to that, and she 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 admitted that she would have, she would not have handled it well. No, well, there would have been crosswords. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's quite a thing. Anyway, hope you hope you like charcoal. Ben Thompson. Everybody can uh, can follow you online at uh, Ben Thompson on Twitter. No tech Ben for your sports commentary, which. NBA is picking up, so you don't have to be too depressed over. I, the, I appreciate you not discussing baseball. It was a it was a, a difficult conclusion to the season, to yeah. say the least. It's heartbreaking, to be to be honest. Uh, and uh, and of course, Stratechery dot com, your uh, uh, daily newsletter with the weekly updates and and keen insights into everything going on in the world of tech. I thank you. I always love having you on the show. <laughs> I love being on the show, and I love talking about charcoal. <laughs> yeah, find out how much it costs to send a bag to Taipei. <laughs> Probably four hundred thirty-two dollars. 